Hey, Chad Brown here. You may remember me as a linebacker in the NFL or as a reptile breeder and the owner of Pro Exotic. I've been herping since I was a boy, and I've dedicated my life to advancing the industry and educating the community about the importance of reptiles. I also love to encourage the joy of breeding and keeping reptiles as a hobbyist, which is why my partner Robin and Marklin and I create the Reptile Report. The Reptile Report is our online news aggregation site bringing you the most up-to-date discussions from the reptile world. Visit TheReptileReport.com every day to stay on top of the latest reptile news and information. We encourage you to visit the site and submit your exciting reptile news, photos, and links so we can feature outstanding breeders and hobbyists just like you. The Reptile Report offers powerful branding and marketing exposure for your business, and the best part is it's free. If you're a buyer or a breeder, you got to check out the Reptile Report Marketplace. The Marketplace is the reptile world's most complete buying and selling destination full of features to help put you in touch with the perfect deal. Find exactly what you're looking for with our advanced search system. Search by sex, weight, morph, or other keywords and use our buy it now option to buy that animal right now. Go to marketplace.thereptilereport.com and register your account for free. Be sure to link your Marketplace account to your Ship Your Reptiles account to earn free tokens with each shipping label you book. Use the Marketplace to sell your animals and supplies and maximize your exposure with a platinum ad that also gets fed to the Reptile Report and our powerful Marketplace Facebook page. Buy and selling? Use shipyourreptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates. ShipYourReptiles.com can also supply you with the materials needed to safely ship your animals successfully. Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates, the materials needed to ship your reptiles successfully, live customer support, and our live on-time arrival insurance program. We got you covered. Visit TheReptileReport.com to learn or share about the animals. Click on the link to the marketplace, find that perfect pet or breeder. Then visit ShipYourReptiles.com to ship that animal anywhere in the United States. We are your one-stop shop for everything reptile-related. for the week. That's right, Owen. We've hit three episodes in one week. It's pretty nuts. Mm-hmm. 
There's nothing left. There's nothing left to say. You caught, you caught oh me. The problem is that we've become such people in Morelia that I'm now like trying to feel eight different things at once right now. And of course, you unmuted at the wrong freaking time. Uh, oh, that was classic. Uh, yeah, I know you're over there. You're over there. I am chat. trying to. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to run five again because you've dragged me into all this bullshit. So I have to now weigh in on things. And you're do so the radio much... show on a Friday. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, all right, I've I've said my piece, and now I'm putting my phone over there. Yeah, there you far go. over right. there. All right. right. Okay. Anyway, um, yes, it's the third episode of the week, which is like obviously we're now way too good to you people because we were bad. We didn't have a show for a week, so we felt like we needed to make it up to you. And then, of course. Nick Mutton calls us the other day, and we decided to do a third episode because we are, again, just far too good to you people. So That's right. here we are again. Yes. Like I told you, when we miss an episode, we bring you three in replacement <laughs> for the fact that we missed one. Can we never miss one. an episode again? Like, can we never do that again? Yeah. I'm t- trying to teach you a lesson, Owen. I'm <laughs> trying to yeah. teach you a lesson. Yeah, yeah, not- yeah. We do not miss episodes. It just doesn't happen. But um, <laughs> wife will be pissed if we keep doing multiple episodes a week, though. So maybe we, I don't think we can afford this. <laughs> I told her about the weekly, the whole week of episodes. <laughs> she just kind of, she just kind of looked at me with a with a look yeah, like, yeah, like, you oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I got a show on his phone, so. I got a lot of uh, good feedback about uh, our little uh, uh, rants um, the other day on Monday. Um, it was kind of uh, – the reviews were that uh, pretty much that we were really funny. Of course. <laughs> we're fucking hilarious half the time. <laughs> Which is the good. half the time we're desperately tragic, but – yeah. Yeah, it was uh people were contacting me yelling that uh yelling as they drive listening to the podcast. That's right, man, that's right, all fired up. <laughs> <laughs> we caused so, several accidents in you know on the way uh, to work. We apologize if that yeah. happened. So uh yeah, and uh I'm working uh we were uh uh, like I told you, we got the rough scale show in, and I think at the end yeah. of the month we're going to have a imbricata show. So, <clears throat> yeah, oh. so uh, pretty that, that's your episode. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but like tonight we have. So. <laughs> yeah, but tonight we have uh, Nick Mutton. Uh, you may know him from multiple things when it comes to carpet pythons. Uh, from anything from. The complete carpet python, inland reptiles, having probably, would you say, one of, probably the biggest carpet breeder in the U.S. Um, yeah. Not to mention the fact that he has his own podcast, uh, which I actually, it came out today. He had Travis Wyman on, and uh, I started listening to it. But, you know, it really makes me feel like I'm stupid when I listen to the podcast <laughs> with Nick and him because, you know, they're talking about, like, genetics that's just on a whole nother level. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right. 
Yeah, uh, I'm yeah. just gonna have to listen to this about four times. But uh, I understand but half of this, so yeah, it's one of those things. But you know, um, I think there comes a point when uh, you 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 work with reptiles for for any length of time, and you're trying to constantly take it to the next level and learn more and 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 really push the envelope uh of how we understand uh these animals. Um so I think that uh that's what he's doing. So I don't know if you've uh I'm I'm sure if people listen to this podcast that they've heard Nick's podcast over on Herb Nations, Nick Mutton Show. And uh he also does uh blogs and um when I think of uh Brettles Centralian pythons, however you want to put it, um Nick pretty much comes to mind. I think he's pretty mm-hmm. much the guru when it comes to them. Um, yeah, I think way ahead of everybody else with consistent breedings and having good yield. But then also he's way ahead of everybody when it comes to the genetic morphs and the designs that he had that he's you know playing with. You know, uh, it used to be just stripe in a brettle, and then. Of course, we got into the hypos and the stone washes and all sorts of stuff. And Nick has them all, and he's playing yeah. with all of them. So mm-hmm. in the next few years, if you've not really been paying attention to Centralians too much, in the next few years, you're going to start seeing some insane stuff. And most, if not all, is going to come right out of Nick's stuff. So, you know, yeah. hypo striped stone wash. I mean, <laughs> I can't, like, my brain can't even wrap around what the hell that's going to look like. So, Would that be head for hippopotamus, Owen, or is no, that not just... yet. no, 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 no? I reserve that crap for your mixed blood uh, stuff. That's all pure uh, brittle. So. No, see, that's the uh, that's the line in the sand that I don't cross. For some reason, can't that's the one it. that I, I can't I can't do it. I can't do it. Can't take, you know? a, it doesn't, can't take a hypo stone wash stripe and cross it with a jag. It makes no sense at all. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying that it's logical. My decision is logical, but for some reason, uh, anything I, I just can't. It, it was a Tinley. You and I were walking around. We crossed this one table that had ocelot uh, brettles jags, and you're like, "That's just thick." And you walk away, and I'm like, <laughs> "What? <laughs> what? Wait a minute, this Eric. Is the guy who... <laughs> three subspecies of carpet rolled into one for sale on your table, but somehow this is the line that you don't cross." Yeah, it's like, that's what upsets you. So yeah, it was you know. <laughs> um. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have Nick on the line, so let's get him on All here. Right. Hey, Nick. Welcome back to the show. Hey. How's hey, it going? Oh, good. Good. I've uh, had a rough go over the last few weeks here, so I was uh, pretty happy when I got the clutch results in. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna call Eric Burke and tell him all about this. <laughs> but if anybody could appreciate it, it's not you guys, and since you at least respect that kind of invisible boundary and don't mix brittles into other stuff, I mean, so for your sake, tell you. But uh, yeah, there's got to be a line. There's got to be a line yeah. somewhere, right? But, That's my uh, line. I can't cross. Got to keep it. something's got to be sacred. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Make the line at the full species level, and then, you know, makes sense. Well, I think that sometimes, uh, I don't know, for people that just get into carpets, I think sometimes because uh, brettles get lumped in with carpets, obviously they're 
sister species, two carpets. They're really always has always have been a full species. I mean, isn't that right? They've always been there. Yeah, own. it's the weirdest, and I don't know why. Uh, they were originally classified as a full species by Gao, you know, 35 years ago or so, 34 years ago, and they have always been a full species. They have never at any point ever been a subspecies for some reason that's inexplicable to me. Uh, a few authors, mostly Australian authors, kind of just decided to just, in their opinion, for no particular reason, they just decided to make them a subspecies, and they never really offered any justification for why they should be a subspecies, not a full species. Just it's a subspecies, and that was just kind of a uh, with no real, you know, you know, no real case to be made other than just you know, in their opinion, um, you know. Because all the morphological data and everything, and when they were classified, all you had was morphology. You didn't have, you know, DNA wasn't really a tool used in taxonomy at that point. But just based on body morphology, I mean, they're completely geographically isolated. They are morphologically very different, and that was enough, and it, as it should be. And then, you know, and then, but not for everybody. And so some people still, you still see, you know, Spilota, Bradley, you know, periodically uh, and stuff, and it's just... That is not now the case, nor was it ever the case. Right. Uh, they were correct, got it right the first time. They were a full species, and when the DNA evidence came in, they were, you know, it was, you know, unbelievably clear that they are a full species. It's not even close. It's not like they're almost, you know, just, it's not, it's not, it's not a, it's not controversial at all. The DNA, it's, you know, it's completely, uh, you know, consistent with the morphology. These are absolutely deserving of full species status, as is Imbricata, for that matter. Uh, so, it's uh right why some people cling to the uh, uh cling to that I don't know and stuff. I mean even if you look at like the was it the Keeping and Breeding Australian Pythons, which is a pretty good book as a whole. It's kind mm-hmm. of an amalgam of you know, each chapter is written by a different person. So it's kind of I mean it's the pacing's a bit uneven because it's you know, you have continuity problems and you have different people writing in different writing styles and it's kind of put together assembled kind of a but the chapter on Brettles is like right there, Morelius below to Bradley, and it just was like you know, it's like you know, no. Oh God damn it! And it even addresses it in the chapter. It says you know some people consider it's a full species, but I think it's a subspecies. But no, it didn't bother to why you know, like, <laughs> in light of overwhelming, in spite of overwhelming morphological and genetic evidence to the contrary, I just gonna stick to my guns yeah. that it's a subspecies. So whatever. Uh, I mean, I feel it. <laughs> feel it in my gut. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, but uh, after working with these things for as long as I have, I'm really convinced the snakes don't really care what we call them. Uh, stuff. Yes. They are what they are. Yeah, they and whether, you know, this distinction no. rises to the level of, you know, giving it a different made-up name that we put on things doesn't really matter. The snakes are very different. And, you know, it's, uh, I mean, obviously you, you see a common ancestry in them, but it's, they are, Technically, they're the sister species to all the carpets. So if you have a fork in that family tree, you've got brettles on one side and everything else on the other. Um, right. They're sister lineage to all the other, the Spilota clade. But uh, they're pretty neat. Anybody that's got them, they become kind of an instant favorite for their yeah. disposition and all of that. And the fact that you really can't kill them without a, having a shovel in your hand, I think, is about the only thing that kills one. <laughs> if you kill an adult brettles pipe, then you have achieved a feat that I have never been able to figure out because I think everyone I have ever had is still alive. I mean, they're, they're, just, they're literally indestructible yeah. animals. Right. But, uh, yeah, Which makes them great. a perfect uh, pet. And you know what's weird is the, the fact perfect, that yeah. Yeah, with the red color and everything, you would think that people – People would just be like, you know, blown away by that because you don't see that too much in pythons, and uh, you know. No, I think I think 
a lot of people are kind of, I don't know, put off probably not the right word, but it's a, uh, a lot of people are, well, frankly, just unsuccessful breeding them. I mean, it's like a jungle carpet <laughs> is pretty easy to breed. You can't quite breed a carpet python on accident, but you almost could breed them on accident. Like if you had the right, if you were just doing things just wrong enough, you could probably just accidentally get a clutch of good eggs. I mean, it's like they're mm-hmm. pretty easy to breed. I mean, I, I breed a lot of them, and I'm, I'm I'm happy every time I hatch some eggs. But it's not really a great accomplishment to get a clutch of coastal carpets, by and large, I mean, or whatever. They're pretty. They're pretty. They they they're very cooperative. They really want to get it done. They just got to like kind of get out of their way almost, and they'll just do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brettles, you know, are more difficult to breed, and I don't think it's difficult. It's just that it's different, and people kind of. Uh, they have the the tried and true formula for breeding, you know, other carpets, and they just want to keep plugging that in. It's a carpet. It's a carpet. It's a carpet. So they want to treat it like a jungle carpet, and that doesn't work that well. Right. You can do that, and you will occasionally get some babies. I mean, you will not always fail. If you treat them like every other carpet, then you will you will on occasion get something, but you will not consistently mm-hmm. year in and year out get awesome results. You will some yeah. you will get hit or miss kind of intermittent with varying degrees of, you know, fertility. You'll get you might get something sometimes, but you will not consistently get awesome results and stuff. They're uh, you know, it's but I don't know. I mean, even people even people that I've sold babies to like sometimes strike out and it's like, "Man, I told you exactly what to do." Did you think I was kidding or something? I mean, it's like just like I told you exactly the recipe. And then I published it in a book. And then I wrote it in an article. It's like, it's not a secret. I mean, it's like, just do this. Works great. Virtually, like, clockwork, it almost always works. Like, I'm surprised if a female doesn't lay a clutch. Like, I had two reabsorbed follicles this year. I about crap my pants. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, they totally faked me out and then didn't lay a clutch? That never happens. Like, I mean, it happens with other things once in a while, but I was, like, just shocked. I mean, it's if I, you know, if I try to breed eight females and I don't get at least seven clutches, I'm almost pissed i'm like i just it's that predictable <laughs> if wow. you do the right things it's just it literally you can about set your watch by it so i don't know mm-hmm. i mean you never i mean you rarely strike out but i think that kind of in, in some people's minds you, you get people get discouraged they get these things and then like a year and a half they grow like weeds a year and a half later they're ready to breed and they don't do anything and then mm-hmm. at two and a half years old they don't do anything and then at three and a half years old they're not even cycling them right at all, and they still didn't do anything, and then they get frustrated and sell them off because they didn't breed them. And it's like, you know, between the them not maturing until they hit about four years old, and there just seems mm-hmm. to be no way to cheat the system, that age is much more of a factor with them than it is with other with carpets and stuff. It's like that you got to allow for that, and they need to be eh, a little bit bigger at sexual maturity, you know, whereas, you know, I've seen jungles and coastals breed at 500 grams for males brettles you know you're you know, probably pushing a thousand for males which isn't a big snake at all it's just a little bit bigger right. in females you know seen right. female jungles i mean i bred one shockingly small kind of on accident one year but uh you know under a thousand even but you know 13 14 1500 grams like clockwork they'll breed and brettles you know you probably want a couple thousand grams so a little bit you know a year or two older a couple of hundred grams bigger and stuff and that's and then, you know, treat them like what they are. It's the old trying to put the round peg in the square hole. It's like, quit treating it like a jungle carpet, treat it like a brettles python. It works really good. It's like trying to, well, it's like you're, you know, one's like a subtropical kind of, you know, winter breeder that, you know, and then one's a spring breeder in a much more extreme climate that is a spring breeder and everything. It's, a, you know, much cooler 
Well, people like, well, you know, I mean, most people, what's the standard Python breeding recipe? It doesn't matter for the jungle carpet or, or anything. It's, yeah, you cool this stuff down at night to keep in the 80s a day, drop them down about 70 degrees at night, do that for a couple months, chuck them together about halfway through, it'll do their thing, you know, no right. problem. And that works pretty good for, uh, you know, a lot of stuff, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. it's pretty surprising, <laughs> that basic theme, that works the really well. Python but, breeding, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a, I mean, it works better for some things than others, but it's fairly effective. I mean, um, Brettles pythons, 70 degrees Fahrenheit is an is the average, that's the average nighttime low in the heat of summertime where these things live. That's like, so if you drop them to 70 degrees, they didn't even notice. Like, that's like nothing. That's, that's an average summer evening. They're still looking for food, you know. <laughs> you don't even notice. I mean, you don't need to put them in the refrigerator or anything, but I mean, it's like, that's, that's nothing to them and stuff. So you get a bit, take them a bit cooler, a little bit longer, and kind of give them a good, you know, because they're just kind of estivate anyway. They just crawl into a tree holler or a rock pile and just hunker down for a few months. They're not like cruising around the dead of winter. It's just, it's not very, I mean, place you know, temperatures get down into the 40s at times and stuff, and that's not very conducive to pythons doing a whole lot. So right. it's also obviously why you can't seem to kill the things. I mean, they're just literally just about bulletproof. <laughs> so, yeah. I tell people if they want a carpet or something, as you know, they want getting their first carpet and everything. It's like get one of these. It's like they're personable, they're docile. You can't kill them. They need no humidity yeah. requirements whatsoever. Not that the others are very demanding of humidity, but with these guys being effectively a desert adapted species, like you just can ignore that entirely. It's like you just. You know, it'll never get sick. You can't kill it. It'll never have a bad shed. It'll never turn down a meal, and it'll never bite you. So like, that's pretty good. And they turn reddish kind of color. Like, that's, yeah, they get it. Pretty. That's a pretty good yeah. deal, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they get bigger uh, and too. So yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. never is probably not the right word, but it's it's you know pretty close. I mean, it's, I got bit. I got a horrible bite from an F4's female adult on the finger the other oh. day. I don't know what I was thinking, like total rookie mistake. We've all done this. I know. If you guys yeah. tell me you haven't done it, you're damn liars. Uh, <laughs> I had been feeding, and feeding the babies this time of year takes two days because there's like 600 snake Holy babies. So it's like crap. two days. It's a two-day job because you're just thawing like five-gallon buckets full of hopper mice, and you don't want you can't, once you thaw a frozen rodent, you've got a bit of a shelf life issue. You can't, you don't want to waste it, and you can't just like be playing musical chairs with it forever. It's like you got the clock's ticking. Yeah. It's something to eat that yeah. or it's going to have to get tossed. So you don't thaw 600 at once because it takes hours to get through them. You thaw that, you know, I'm thawing like 150 at a whack, and I'm doing that in stages and trying to get babies that haven't fed to eat. And so it's it's a bunch of work, but uh, doing it all in the dark with a headlamp on too. But uh, <laughs> I had been hundreds yeah. of hopper mice and buckets full of thawed and water, hot, warm water to warm up the buff ambient. You know, that works better for the ones that so the ones haven't fed. But uh, So I've got, like, mouse water just all over my hands all day. And I don't know why I checked on See, It looked like she was doing something. I kind of opened the cave like a dummy, and she just latched onto that warm mouse with mm-hmm. the five fingers, I guess, that my hand that smelled completely of mouse water. I mean, it's like the on these rodents. And it, was just, and it was literally trying to eat my fingers. Like, mm-hmm. it was not letting go. <laughs> And oh, we just wow. kept to like she was gonna kill my hand and swallow it. I think just a total food response. I'm like I'm such an idiot. I'm like how many times have I got to learn that lesson? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently one more. Uh, but uh, 
You ever oh. had that happen? I found my best trick for that. There's a here's a little tip if you haven't if you haven't heard of this one. Just take a little. You have yeah. an alcohol sanitizer, hand sanitizer, which everyone should have in their snake room anyway. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. take a little dab of that on your other hand that isn't being constricted by the snake, and uh, <laughs> just put it right by their nostril. Oh man, they hate that. They will yeah, recoil really? and let go. Like oh, they'll, yeah. they they will full out just flee. Like the smell of that alcohol is so abhorrent to them that it's, you put it right by their nostril and put your finger by their nostril and they're like. Nine times out of ten, they'll just immediately let go, unhook their teeth, and like and get away from that and stuff. That works really good. Yeah. Uh, so there's your uh, tip of the day if you're ever so stupid <laughs> as to stick your hand in a completely the most placid snake ever. But I'm like, she's you know, I got to side with the snake on this one. Well, it's moving around like a rodent. Certainly no smells rodent. like one, and it's yeah. warm like one. It's like, well, must be food. I mean, just check three as wonderful there, as, there, so. Wonderful as they are, they're not the brightest, uh, you know, creatures probably. So I can't really <laughs> fault the fault snake on that one. But she, yeah, I was like, oh man, that sucked. And then you're just sitting there like, I've got two problems. I got the pain of this thing latched onto my fingers, and then this total overwhelming feeling of that I'm a dumbass for because <laughs> it's clearly, you know, my own stupid fault. I'm like, I don't even have anybody to blame. Things like that are so much better when you can blame the other guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Damn, Owen's fault. Damn it! You know it's like nope, yeah, just it's, me. I'm the only one here. I'm an idiot. Sure. Nobody look at me. Yeah. I'm a moron. You know it's, it's just that's bad. Great. I mean it's like oh, I guess I'm doing I'm doing it for the next ten minutes. You know, but uh, oh yeah. My yeah, uh, don't do when that. I was when I was young, and um, my dad was just getting me into snakes. Uh, he did that, but he did it with a Burmese python. Uh, oh yeah, the worst. <laughs> he helped. I'm, I'm upstairs and he's down the basement and this thing just uh it was like uh well he's about as tall as me so we're hobbit height you know and the cage was up <laughs> up in the How air tall are you, Eric? Five, seven. Five, seven. Oh, i'm actually taller you're actually I, you're the only person i think in the world i'm taller than i'm five eight apparently, so. i finally know somebody yeah. shorter than me Hooray! yeah so but we're thick, Eric. We're thick. See, we may not have the we may not have the altitude, but we got the you know. <laughs> that's true. With the girth, yeah. that didn't sound good. But uh, <laughs> oh well, changing the stuff. Moving on. <laughs> back to the Burmese python story. Yeah. yeah. Back, meanwhile, back to the the Burmese python story. Yeah, he went to feed a rabbit. He threw it. Now this is uh, probably I would say probably between. 15 and 18 foot. Uh, it's a big, big female. And he threw in the rabbit, and the snake just saw the motion. Boom, latched onto him. It's constricting his arm. Uh, you know, he falls onto the ground. He's screaming for me to come down. And I'm a little kid. I'm like, what the hell do you want me to do? Dad? I don't know what to do. I thought the snake's eating my dad. I'm freaking out. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. My mom comes running. She's like, I told you not to have these snakes. You know, it was a big, big to do. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> uh, nope. uh, I mean, we all we all make those mistakes once in a while. Of course. <laughs> yep. You have to learn the same thing like four times. Like I made, the same, I made the same mistake Nick did this winter with one of my brettle, which I'm like, are you still hungry? And she just nails my hand. I'm like, yep, yep, you are. So it was like in December. Yeah. So, yep. I'll, I'll, I'll probably make that same mistake again in a couple months too. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, you get kind of like very complacent when you work with a lot of these snakes for a long time, and you get almost mm-hmm. too comfortable, and you just kind yep. of get well, maybe it's cocky or something. I don't know, but 
like, yeah, it might smell like mice in the room, but I'm not going to get tagged by an adult. Oh, yeah, you will. I mean, it's... <laughs> Yeah, they're hey, you know, if it's like my Brisbane's or something that kind of looked at you a little shifty, it probably would never happen, but the brettles are just so docile. You're just like, you think you can be sloppy and <laughs> still get away with it. It's, it's like, oh, wait, oh, wait, you do have a food response. That's right. Uh, yeah. so, so, awesome. I've never so been hit by to... one unprovoked. That's my fault. Oh, no. Well, that's good. That's good to know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're they're pretty chill. Uh, I'm like I said, I, I think more people would, uh, you know, uh, appreciate them, I guess, maybe. I I don't know. It just seems like, I think, to me, I don't know if you get this question a lot, Nick, but it seems like people think they get huge. Like, you know, I have a lot of people that contact me and say they get 10 feet, 12 feet, which is not the case, right? No, I mean I've never I've got a, a genuine eight foot female, but yeah, to be honest, and she's a good she's a big heavy girl, but she is. I bought her from K. I went to Casey's and picked her out of all the stripes he produced in 2002. So she's 13 years old, mm. and then at one point had like a four year stretch where I didn't try to breed her. I gave her four years off. Basically, the day I got my male hypo, I quit breeding that snake, and waited so that I didn't want any possibility of sperm storage right. at all. So I waited until he was a mature, so she had like all like four seasons off prior to that, so there'd be no nothing clouding the waters when I bred them together and everything. I've got her grandchildren that are breeding now, so I don't really need to but I mean she's mm-hmm. she's a pretty big, you know, snake, but you know, it didn't like just spring up one day and end up that big. I was just thirteen years old. And I right. probably was a little too generous with the food in the early days and everything, so uh, right. you know, I don't. I don't. I can't imagine any of the other ones are going to get that big now. Uh, but they're. I mean, they're. If you lump them in with all the other carpets, they are probably the largest carpet that most people have access to, because they're they're going to be a little bit larger than your average coastal carpet. Most of our coastal carpets really aren't that big, as you probably noticed. It's like it's not really a very big snake. The Brettles is comparable in length, but is probably slightly. Just slightly heavier bodied, you know. If you had a right. six foot coastal and a six foot Brettles, you know, generic U.S. lineage coastal, the Brettles would probably weigh about ten, fifteen percent more. It's a little bit chunkier and mm-hmm. stuff, but not like, not. It's not. I mean, I can see that because I have so flipping many of them. I think I've probably got right. fourteen adult. I think I have fourteen adult Brettles alone, and that doesn't count all the ones that are coming up and stuff. So, I mean, we have a lot of them over a period of years. They are a little girthier. The heads get a little chunkier and stuff, but they're not not. Not tremendously so, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, no, they're not. Uh, sure. If you would consider having a jungle carpet as a pet, you shouldn't. The mm-hmm. size difference is not significant enough over that to where it even matters. Like, you know, uh, right. you know, they'll be happy to stay five feet long, the same as everything else. <laughs> you don't have to let, mm-hmm. even if they could get seven feet, you don't have to let them get that big. I don't know why people think that. I mean, it's oftentimes better for the animal to kind of keep them a little bit smaller. I mean, because. Any animal and humans, for that matter, once you get to kind of that, you know, exceptional size for whatever the species is, that tends not to not be the key to longevity, does it? You know, no. look right. at you know whenever you see really really huge human beings, they tend to not live very long, do they? You know, no. right. The bigger you are, you tend to it has a, an adverse effect on life expectancy. Look at dog breeds. What's the longest lived dog breed? A Chihuahua, the smallest. What's the li- what are the shortest lived breeds? Mastiffs, Great Danes. The bigger they are, mm-hmm. the shorter their life expectancy. The smaller they are, the longer they live. 
And you see that right. all the time, even in human beings. Who are the longest-lived people in the world? For the record, it's people in Okinawa. Why? Because, you know, you're small body size, low caloric intake, live a long time. Big, giant people tend to not live very long. It's like just Google mm-hmm. dead professional wrestlers. You'll see they're all dead. I mean, it's <laughs> right. like you're, you're all dying. <laughs> in their 50s. Yeah. But if you're a big, giant human being, you won't, you don't, I mean, I'm not going to live as long as Owen, probably. Yeah. I mean, it's, the bigger you are, it's just, that's just biology and how it works. I mean, so making your snake this enormous, I mean, making it unnaturally large is not, you're not doing it any favors. You're really, really not. I mean, that's uh, so. I tend to keep things just big enough to get the job done is what I like. So, Females will lay more eggs if they're larger, but I don't, I mean, I don't ever, I mean, I don't want them to get too big. Uh, mm. And males, I want to be just big enough to barely do the deed because uh, <laughs> anything else is just kind of, uh, you know, the little males yeah. breed better anyway than most things. Yeah, so. they do. Little hungry males, little males that are kind of on the lean side, a little bit hungry, and just barely, those are the ones that get it done, and they live forever, and they yep. breed like crazy, yep. and they don't yep. take up much space or resources or time <laughs> or anything. Big, giant, big, fat males tend to not breed very well, don't just kind of sit around, just, you know, like people, I guess. And, I mean, yeah, all, right. And I say that as a reformed big, fat guy. I mean, it's like, hey, it's true. I mean, it's like... <laughs> I do a lot more now than I did a hundred pounds ago. You know, I tell you, it's uh, it's like it's true. I mean, it's, you, a lot of people. It's like you can take you know, whatever you're looking at and analyzing with these animals. You can usually put that in kind of those usually human equivalent or analogy you can make, and it works the same for us too. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, it's there's color morphs of human beings. There's yeah. like five different. There's like five different types of albinism in humans. There's a human. There's two different human piebald genes. I mean, we've got we've got morphs too. I mean, it, uh, you know, any phenomenon like one of the ones we could probably talk about today and stuff. I just did a blog post on it and everything. Uh, but you know, and I had a, did a episode of my show on it. That's complicated, but happens. And so right. I mean, these things, you know, that stuff happens in people. We're not different. The rules are the same for everything. So it's a. Uh, we like to look at the snakes, but this stuff's happening with 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 us as well. I mean, stuff. There's chimeric human beings and and all of that kind of stuff too. So, um, yeah. But, yeah, well, I speaking of, I, I was going to say, speaking of morphs, you're you know you hatched uh, out yes. this this awesome clutch. Uh, yeah, I wanted tell, to tell, us tell people. It. I was like, so you ever get to that point where you're feeling kind of down about whatever, and then you just really need kind of a win, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, need, I need a win here, and I got the big win. I finally uh, – the stonewash gene is a new recessive Brettles python mutation. I actually proved it was genetic two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But being kind of paranoid, and I'm just kind of naturally always kind of the pessimist, uh, and I'm always trying to disprove things, I guess. So you always, uh, and this was the always going to be the year that I really, you know, had the potential to, to, to drive this one home and stuff. So, so while I proved it out two years ago, I proved it out kind of in the minimalist sense, and that like, okay, they're really I've removed whatever other possibilities realistically, you know, exist. It has to be recessive because it's the only thing left that makes any sense. But you can always kind of concoct other. There's there's always some weird scenario that, however unlikely it might be, is conceivably possible. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, so at some point, i got to sell hats. And you're putting your name and reputation on the line if you're selling hats. Mm-hmm. It needs to be what you are selling it as, or that's a really big problem you've created. And we live in a hobby where people just, 
willy-nilly. I mean, you can buy There's, I could give you the names of four or five ball python mutations you can go buy that don't actually even flip and exist. They're literally figments of people's imaginations, but they'll sell you one. I mean, so that's... Oh. Oh yeah, there's a bunch of them too. It's like it's just insane. It's and uh, you know you want to be on very firm footing when you say this is a new recessive gene. Here it yeah. is. Here's all the results. They did all the appropriate test breedings. Proved this out the the correct way. You know, and I got the results I was hoping for. Actually, kind of crushed the odds really, because uh, up until now this mutation has popped out in the same exact year in two different collections. Uh, Brian Barcheck hatched out what appears to be the same thing. Uh, no doubt, the same thing, and. I've got these. Another guy hatched them out, and I obtained the whole project from a guy named Nick Stark, uh, many you know some years ago and stuff. And but until then, up until you know last week, every animal that carries this phenotype has been produced from like one pair of hets over there or a pair of hets I've got here, and stuff. This was the first time anyone's actually bred a second generation breeding. I had visual homozygous, presumed homozygous males that I was able to breed, and I got exactly a second you know in a second generation. I did another series of test breedings. I had exactly what I was supposed to get. So at this point, it's it's absolutely cut and dry. It is a recessive gene. There is no, there it can't be anything else. I mean, there's no other, uh, you know, other possibilities, even however remote at this point. So uh, hmm. I did a, I did breed a visual male to uh, the original het female, and I got 19 eggs, and I nailed it. I got 15, 14 visuals out of 19 eggs. So. Oh wow. And you can tell it a mile away. Like, you don't got to look very – I mean, it's not like some subtle thing where you got to kind of squint and there's nothing – no intermediate phenotype. It's like all or nothing. It's really obvious. So I was uh, really, really – I even didn't get killed on the sex ratio. I got, like, virtually even on across all the clutches. Everything's – you know, finally didn't – you know, usually I end up with the – even if you get something good, it's like, you know, they're all male or all female or some weird – Right. You know, something you can get kind of hosed on that. But 7.7, perfect ratio of them. I've got a clutch of – you know, I made a clutch of hets. I bred an unrelated female to the homozygous male and got absolutely nothing. I got, you know, 17 completely normal heterozygous animals. Uh, you know, I bred a, a different homozygous male to a genetic striped female. Again, I got eight, and I got, oh, I got 18 babies out of uh, 17 eggs. Only the second time I've ever had twin brettles, and all the first time was in 2004. Right. And not a single, and I can't even begin to tell you how many, I've never had less than two clutches of brettles in, in the last 11 years, and I've, you know, some years there was maybe two. It was never less than two, but I have literally, you know, last years have been between five and seven the last several years. So that's a lot of brettles that never hit twins because they don't seem to do that with any regularity. So they even got twins. But, again, the double hats, all completely normal phenotype. No, there is, you know, there is no... Uh, no in-between, no incomplete dominant, no multi-locus, nothing. It's you have it or you don't, and you got to get it from uh, two animals that carry this gene. So it's uh, a f- very, very much uh, cemented that it's recessive. And this is the year that I actually can let something go. Uh, it seems like <laughs> I've had these things forever. Well, I mean, these, they take four years to mature, so it's like it's a slow yeah. burn. It's not like a you know a zebra jungle or a jag where you get a male and 18 months later you're that thing's pounding away on every female you got. I mean, it's, and you're making right. a whole bunch of these things. It's like, you know, four years you can breed these two snakes together and you can't, you can't, uh, uh, you know, I didn't want to make a bunch of possible heads or anything like that previously because I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, just flood the, flood the zone with a bunch of possible gene carriers. I wanted to, like, prove it out diligently and, and get it all nailed down really tight before I let anything go. But now it's, it's actually, I can actually sell visual animals and heads. Uh, for the first time, so wow, that's awesome. So, 
as to, I mean, can you explain what the gene is? I mean, I posted pictures up on our Facebook page that you sent me of, uh, of these hatching out. Um, what, I mean, as far as adults, what does the, what does the I should color have been look like? a picture of one of the one of the adults. That would have been probably much easier. But it's kind of a last second thought, like <laughs> yeah. like two minutes before you guys started talking. Like, hey, here's some pictures. Why don't you put those up or something? I didn't even... yeah. You get busy and you don't think, and you get old like me, and you don't think about stuff in advance as much. So uh, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> they basically look like the babies. I mean, you get this kind of the first third of the body. You get this kind of the background color is leached away, mm-hmm. where it looks like someone scrubbed the color off of them kind of right. against the name and everything. It's uh, And it tends to diminish towards, by the tail end, they look pretty well normal. Uh, how far back it extends is variable. I got some this year when I get a, but up until now, like this one clutch probably tripled the number of these things that existed on the planet. There's only a handful of them ever produced because you have a couple of clutches of het to het, basically. Just, there's very, very few of them. And right. now, you know, you breed homozygous to heterozygous and get good odds. All of a sudden you get, like, there's actually a few around. And with a larger sample size, you know, you get to see whatever level of natural variation in phenotype exists, you'll, you have enough of them, you'll start to see kind of the full range of what's possible. And this year, I, there's some of these things that have that, that background color is kind of super faded out, you know, most of the way back and stuff. It's always most prominent in the first and the anterior third of the body, and then, you know, and then in varying degrees, how far back it goes. It's pretty neat looking. They're really neat when they're babies. It's a, I don't know, it's a... It's strange. I don't, it kind of reminds me a lot of, like, you see the reduced pattern diamond python morph, which I know no one's totally got that sorted out yet as far as mm-hmm. right. how the inheritance of that works and stuff. I mean, but that's, you know, for the diamond python guys to figure that one out. <laughs> right. I do that's have a problem. pair, but if I do have a pair, but I'm going to be severely disappointed in my comrades if they haven't got it sorted out before I breed mine. So <laughs> they've been popping these things out for a few years now. I mean, it, granted, it's another species that takes, you know, five odd, five or so years to hit maturity, so it's, you know, right. it's not the fastest thing in the world to do, but it's, again, you know, they should have it, they don't have it figured out by the time I get to breed mine, then there's something wrong. So Come on, guys. <laughs> nothing is random. It's all kind of like, there's a reason why these phenotypes exist. It's like how that works, you know, it's it all can be answered. It's just you got to think about it. And I see, I have a great frustration with, you know, herpers around the world in some regards and stuff. It's like you, you get these anomaly, anomalous kind of animals that might be some new mutation or whatever, and then they'd like, it's usually pretty clear what you need to do. You need to, you know, breed A and A to B and B to C, and you do these three things, and then by reason deduction you will figure out, you remove every possibility other than whatever it is, you know, and then you right. know what it is. But it's usually pretty easy, the you know, as far as knowing what you need to breed, to really truly sort it out, and it's shocking how many people just go about it the most screwy way. They're like, he's trying to like, they have an animal that looks really strange for whatever reason, and they're trying to find another animal that looks like that one to breed it to. It's like, what's? Well, that's the path of no knowledge. That will tell you nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's like because if you even if you get babies that look like them, you won't know why. Was it because one was genetic and one wasn't? And if it was one, which one was it? Or is it because babies just look like their parents, and you bred two snakes that look like each other, and the babies look like the parents? You'll learn right. nothing, but you need to breed to a completely stone-cold normal that's unrelated, if at all humanly possible, you know, it's like then to see. And then you analyze the babies in that first generation. Did you see the parental phenotype expressed, you know, in whole or in part? I mean, if, if you, you, know, you do, anything you get tells you something. If you see half the babies look like the dad, well, great, that tells you one thing. If the babies look intermediate, that tells you something else. If the babies look all normal, that tells you something. And then you go on to the next step, and... 
you know, a couple, t- you know, it takes you two generations or whatever, and then you're there, and you you know definitively what you have. But just it's kind of poking around, breeding random things, <laughs> or they'll have a potential new morph, and then the first thing you do is breed to some other mutant. But like, well, <laughs> what if you what if you only bred, you know, what if what if you only got one of the new morph in the clutch, and it also happened to be the other thing you bred it to, and then you you totally cloud what you're looking at, you know? Right. You know, you don't want to. It makes it hard to see because you're kind of because these things interact with each other, these genes and the effect that affect color and pattern and on some level. And you know, it it's you know, it's like if you had a new if you had a new you know, if I, I would never breed a brettles to a jag as previously for all mentions previously discussed. But I mean, <laughs> how insane would it be to take? Oh, I've got this new brettles morph that might be something. I'll breed to a jag straight away. It's like, well, then that tells you. It's like, what are you? That doesn't do anything. What are you doing? You know, it's like, what is that telling you? Is it telling you anything? I mean, it's kind of just really muddying the waters. And you want to be able to see. You want to see the potential new the influence of that phenotype from the one parent you think might be something on a, a blank canvas. You don't want to see any other interference. You don't want it to be a hybrid. You don't want it to have any other genes. You know, it's completely wild type. So then if you have something that isn't wild type, it's very easy to spot, even if it's right. subtle, you know, right. and stuff. But this is, I mean, it's, but I mean, I guess people can do whatever they want. They've got whatever mm-hmm. they can do whatever they want. But I mean, it's, but there's a reason why some of these things, you know, have, got languished forever and we don't know why how it works because it's like it's figure it out man it's like yeah. you know why do we not know how red coastals work definitively and that's embarrassing at this point to me <laughs> i mean it's uh i'm pretty i'm extremely confident i know the answer but i don't keep red coastals so i'm not i'm not gonna get some i got enough to do you know it's uh but it's like that's like again it's like breed a to b hold back babies and then breed them to you know it's like it's not that it's not that long of a process it's like you could answer that question it's not unknowable right. i think people mm-hmm. like things that are no one's bothered to do this oh it's random or it's you know whatever they they don't want to figure it out it's like this i would just out of curiosity want to figure it out you know what's you know it's you could do it in about three years you could positively put that to rest yeah you know well but, that happened with should, uh the melanistic guy J thing that I have and the yeah, guy that okay. had it before me, the first thing he bred it to was a Jag. And uh, <laughs> I was, Oh my goodness. What are you doing? Here's a, here's a female too, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And how tragic, what if that, you know, I've had a lot of females where you might only get one clutch out of a female. What if you, I've had females, you know, lay a clutch, then drop dead afterwards or, uh, I had a female lay a clutch, then laid the eggs, and prolapsed her entire oviduct came out with the egg yep. like sausage casing. That happens, not often, but it can happen. So right. what if that female's only clutch she ever produced was that, and thus yeah. you can never make <laughs> this cool. because they, they're always whatever it is. Is if it was something, it, they'll all be IJJ mutts or you know. It's like it's like get something, oh. get it figured out, get it established, and then if you want to do whatever you're gonna do, do whatever you're gonna do. But it'd be nice to get something established. On its own first, before that. Yeah, then I don't know. I mean, yeah. It doesn't make sense to me, but people can do whatever they want. I mean, and, and they do, and it's whether it's you know good idea or not doesn't seem to matter. It's people will do, and they can. I mean, I just I don't know. I just see crazy stuff like that all the time, and it's just like man, some of these things are. I can think of several morph projects around the world that are have a lot of potential that should have been proven out years ago. Right, uh, and we still don't have any flipping answers because you know <laughs> things are easy to breed too. It's like just figure this out. 
<laughs> like the thought of breeding something to a normal is so crazy. Like just, you know, and I want to see this by itself. Yeah. Isolate it and everything. There's another guy, you know, let's take away the discussion on the stone wash, but there's another guy uh, who just hatched out, actually hatched them out last year, and then he hatched some more out yeah. this year from the same parents that might be another type of hypovalinism. In right. Brettles pythons. In Brettle, right? Wow. They are more. They're quite a bit more subtle than the hypos that I've got, but it might be yeah. something. I thought it was <laughs> enough potential there. Do I bought all of them? I mean, <laughs> I got all of them from this year. I, I just got them the other day and everything. There's five of them and stuff, and it, it might be something, but it's it, it's possible it's not. But they, there's enough there to think to have some reason to think is, there's something going on. But I mean. So what's the next step? A bunch of serious controlled test breedings, you know. It's like uh, the guy's pretty cool. We're working together on this stuff, and it's like, look, we can do, you know, A, B, and C, and you know, after in you know, twelve more months, we'll know quite a bit more, and then every year we'll learn a little more, and in a couple of years we'll have this nailed down because we're going to eliminate the other possibilities, and you know, and then uh, what's left, however unlikely, must be the truth. Then if you've removed the after you've removed all the impossible, <laughs> you've removed the impossible, whatever remains. However unlikely, it must be the truth, right? Right. So, but it's it's not that complicated, you know. In this case, those animals are all genetic stripes, also, which okay. adds, makes it actually a little more complicated because now you got to deal with two things. Well, what does it look like in the absence of the stripe gene? So mm. you have to kind of separate the stripe from that. So you need to do a breeding where you're breeding the stripe out. Because what does this look like without being a stripe? Because that's having an effect. So you got to kind of get the extra, get rid of the other morph, at right. least in an experimental clutch to to see. Because you got to know what does this look like by itself, and stuff, and what is it, you know, and how does it work? It might, but it it might be. So we might be talking about in another couple of years about another recessive Brettles morph. Hmm, so, that's pretty cool. Yeah, Hopefully. isn't that crazy? Right. Because at, yes, at this <laughs> point, there are. Uh, there are as many Brettles python morphs as there are coastal carpet morphs uh, available oh, really? to us as hobbyists, and far more. I mean, you get two IJ morphs, one jungle carpet mutation, you know, but Brettles are now up to three and possibly four, you know, so. Wow. Yeah. That's and some of these cool. things I tend to think are going to play really nice together because, I mean, the hypo is going to play nice with whatever, but of course. Uh, the stonewash is not really, I wouldn't consider it a hypomelanistic gene, but it kind of looks like that at some point. Some uh-huh. of them are pretty red, and they kind of were the really faded, and it really, I hesitate to, I don't want to call them a hypo, uh, you know, but they they kind of have some attributes like that a little bit, uh, but it's not really a decreased black kind of a thing. But uh, I imagine... Just looking at the phenotypes of both of them, I'm really confident that they're going to play really nice together. That uh, you know, a hypo stonewash is going to be a really pigment-challenged uh, animal that should be really, really orange and really bright, and that'll be that's a good thing. At least, you know, yeah, I think it'll be a good <laughs> thing and stuff. So, you know, and then this other thing, if this turns out to be another type of, albeit maybe a little softer, hypomelanistic type of gene, it's like, well, then you've got multiple types of hypomelanism that are at different locuses and they are not related and thus you can stack them on top of each other. Right. And make effectively a double hypo which will will Is there be is there anything in the extreme. Is there anything in the ball python world that would relate to a double hypo? What there would, always what would be is. similar. You've got tons of you've got tons of different types of hypomelanism in ball pythons and stuff. The best analogy is uh, boa constrictors, though. For some reason, boa analogies work really well with 
Uh, carpets. <laughs> with mm-hmm. carpets, unless you want to talk about jags, in which case you got to go to the spider ball or whatever. But, uh, but uh, yeah, there's a uh, like a. You ever seen a? I think it's called. I think they call it a sunset boa. It's a hypo hog island boa. Well, yeah, a hog right. island boa is basically just a mainland boa that lives on an island where the entire island population has evolved to be natural super hypos. Which, for some reason, there's a weird thing that happens on small insular populations where you see kind of small island populations where everybody is a hypo. That's not that happens a lot. Oddly, I don't know why, what the evolutionary pressure that drives island, you know, insular hypomelanism is, but you mm-hmm. see island forms that where everybody's a hypo. And a hog island bow is basically a hypo Central American bow, isn't it? It's like, but the whole population it stops being a morph when the entire population is conformed. To, uh, when everything in the population is a homozygous for some mutation, it's not really a morph at that point. It's just basically the new normal, isn't it? Right. Uh, well, then you've got you know Central American hypo, the common Central American hypo, and everything. And when you put that on top of it, since there are basically two different types of hypomelanism, you they stack on top of each other, and you end up with this ridiculously hypomelanistic animal that is just off the charts beautiful and really greatly reduced. You get kind of a synergistic effect where uh, you know when you stack these things on top of each other, you end up with a really, really hypomelanistic animal. And I would expect you'd probably end up with something very similar with the Brettles pythons, except for in this case, you're going to have a really orange snake. Right. And stuff. So hmm. huh. it's going to take a while. I mean, these things mature late, but it's, uh, right. you know, I got nothing else to do. I'm in it for the long haul. <laughs> I'll play the long, I'm playing the long ball on this huh. one. It's, uh, you know, huh. I'll be in my 50s by the time I make it, but it'll be all right. You know, you'll start looking at the, Super hypos, but then you're also now super hypo stripe, super hypo stonewash, well, super maybe. hypo stripe. Sometimes mean, it might get murky. I mean, the other the other putative hypo gene that may. I mean, it's not even. Is it even genetic? It it. Yeah. On a single clutch where there are a few, a handful of weird babies, that doesn't mean squat. I mean, I've seen that a million times. Most of the time, it doesn't mean anything. This got interesting because the. The next year, the same parents did produce the same result. There was again a small portion of these weird babies that were noticeably right. not like ten times brighter, but they are like there's a few characteristics that are consistent, and it's enough to make you think eh, it might be something there. Now, if you play the odds, most new morphs don't prove to be genetic. There's for every new mutation that pops out, there's been about a hundred that people tried to prove out that weren't genetic. Uh, the odds are always against you, but there's enough going on when that when the second clutch from the second year and then like okay history repeat itself at that point you can rule out any kind of develop you're not having a developmental thing you're not having an incubator thing it's like something's going on and mm-hmm. stuff. so now it's a matter of it's it's clearly hereditary but how is it hereditary it's is what the focus becomes and then you know figure out a game plan and stuff and and proceed so right uh, do you have yeah, any uh, do you have any better understanding of the hypo gene that you're working with uh, no, but I'll tell you. I can tell you the month that I will give you a total, uh, the complete answer. I mean, it's like it's. Oh, okay. <laughs> breed the, I mean, it is, maybe it sounds cocky, but these things for me breed like clockwork. Like I know that literally, in the last week of August or the first week of September, two years, three years, two years from now, I'm going to have the answer to that question, because that's when, uh, or three years from now, it'll take three years. So in 2018. Uh, right. This week of 2018, I will be able to answer that definitively. Uh, okay. You have to know. I mean, I mean, and, and that's if we're looking at a multi-locus trait or some sort of dominant trait. And I'll, I can't handle not knowing, so I've got mm-hmm. to do the, 
the breeding and everything. But I've you have to eliminate the possibility that either of the animals you're breeding is a homozygous animal and stuff. So uh, I made hypo het genetic stripes last year, and they are all every baby was a hypo. Some of them look just as good as the hypo to hypo babies. I mean, some of them are a little bit less, but they're none of them look normal. Uh, but I can be absolutely positive, scientifically positive, that there is no possible way that any of them are homozygous hypos. They can only be heterozygous hypos if it's a single locus, if it's a single gene mutation. They can only be heterozygous. So when I breed those, the best ones of those together, and I'll pick the very, very best ones, obviously. Uh, I've got them all still, so I can do that. But, uh, you know, regardless of how awesome or not awesome they look, I'll pick the most extreme ones. If it's a single gene, I'm trying to prove it by breeding the gene out. Uh, because those heter- those presumed heterozygous hypos that are also heterogenetic stripe, but we know that's recessive, uh, in the process of making a hypogenetic stripe, I should also make 25% of those babies should be normals. Right. They should be completely normal. Now, it might be a situation where you can't tell the super hypo from the heterozygous hypo. That is completely possible, but you can surely tell a normal from a hypo because that's yeah. very obvious. So if I breathe those together, if I get a whole bunch of babies that just look like more hypos where every baby looks, you know, like the parents, basically they're all hypos, then it's pretty well settled that it's a multi-locus trait because you're just taking the average of both parents. No matter how awesome they are, that's what you're doing and stuff. Whereas if it's a single gene that's doing this, then you have, you know, I should produce 25% completely normal offspring and stuff. And if you can't, if you can't breed it out, it's because you're just endlessly taking the average of both parents and stuff and that's so I'll know when I breed those and I'll have a large enough sample size when I do it so I'll have a I will uh, I will know definitively and I'm not like I'm going to keep it a secret I mean I've told everyone <laughs> telling the entire audience and my whole game plan is uh, I just can't possibly mathematically know with certainty any sooner than that that's just that's the only way you can really prove it and that's what I'm I fully intend to do and when I do it's it is well it I mean, it will be what it will be, won't it? It's it's what it already is. It's just I've got to figure it out. It's you know, it's not. I think we uh, a lot of people, unfortunately, with mutations and reptiles, they tend to like let what they want something to be kind of get in the way of what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. It's like it is what it is, but people let their own people have a preferred outcome, don't they? They want something to be whatever the best case scenario for them is. And sometimes I think people st- I know people stare at stuff too hard. And they if you stare at something long enough, you'll convince yourself you're seeing all kinds of cool stuff. You know, some little <laughs> tiny little bit of minutia, and you convince yourself it's some new morph. You know, you've seen that about a half a million times, uh-huh. mostly with ball pythons. But I've seen it in carpets and stuff as well, where people, like, fixate on one little weird you know, anomaly of pattern and think that maybe they got something. And, you know, maybe they do, but they probably don't. I mean, right. and I know this, I can say this because I've done it. I mean, I've, like, stared at stuff too long on my own self, and you start convincing yourself that you're looking some great new thing, and it's probably not that. But uh, I don't know. Right. The hypo, it's like, well, it's either, I know it's not recessive. <laughs> I've proven that. Breeding such right. I've proven it's not recessive. I didn't think it was going to be, but I know it isn't. That's, that's, that's definitive. So uh, beyond that, you're left with either a dominant trait where the, Blurry between homozygous heterozygous or a multilocus trait. Worst, I guess, best case is. I mean, most people would prefer a, a nice, tidy single gene mutation to a multilocus right. trait, but it doesn't really matter what we want it to be, does it? <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> um, 
But really, is that even that bad of a thing? Because, I mean, a tiger is a perfect analogy. A tiger is a multi-locus trade, and they don't seem to be particularly hard to make or in short supply, do they? Nope. It's like nope. pretty easy to make them. It's, just, it's not the same, but if you get a really nice line-bred tiger, you can breed a tiger to normal and get a whole clutch of stripes, can't you? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> it gets very potent, and if the hypo is a multi-locus trait, it's really damn potent because I got all hypos. Uh I've only ever bred hypo to non-hypo one time, and I never let any. I still have every single one of them, and stuff. So I've never. I did not want to. I think like doing making you know kind of because that thing would breed a piece of rope if I put it in his cage. Um, I just thought like if, I don't want to cheapen the project and run it in the toilet. I've seen too many projects get run in the toilet. We all have, uh-huh. uh, where people like the one guy's got. You know, and they, you know, they breed and make an absolute million of them, and then pretend that they're rare, and then, which is always the shell game, isn't it? Make a million mm-hmm. of something, make two hundred of them, and then pretend that they're rare at a high price. But eventually, that house of cards collapses, and then, you know, the price implodes. And I just am not going to do that. I've I've been burned on that kind of thing a few times and mm-hmm. stuff. So I'm just, you know, like I said, the only, you know, I have made. I'm about to hatch my fourth clutch of them. Uh, but it's uh, or my third clutch of them. Sorry, not my fourth. My third clutch of hypos, and every hypo I've ever sold is from my hypo pair. Now, one time I bred hypo to a non-hypo was to that striped female last year, and I have every single one of them. I didn't release any because I don't know which ones. If it's a multi-locus trait, then the ones that look the best will make the best babies, won't they? And mm-hmm. since I don't know that, I don't want to let anything go. I mean, I want to see how they all go because sometimes the ones you don't think much of at the beginning are the ones that turn out the best, so... Uh, but yeah, I didn't also didn't want to uh, just kind of flood the zone with a bunch of half blood hypos because I could breed that hypo. I, mean, I have a lot of brittle females, different bloodlines, right. kind of stuff. But I could, yeah, I could have probably punched out two, three clutches a year of like 50% hypo influence, and they'd be based on the stripe clutch I did. Some of them look pretty; they're pretty hypo. But I didn't want to send them up. But what are they watered down hypos? I don't really. I haven't even quantified exactly what's going on exactly yet, so I just did not want to. I don't know. If you buy a project and somebody's making hundreds of babies, and you're, you're, by the time with something four years of that goes by, then everybody who bought the early animals is like you're going to have saturated the market completely and thoroughly before they ever get any chance to get a clutch on the ground, and that's not cool. So right. I've just not done that. Right. Uh, I, try, I did try to make a clutch of hypo genetic stripes to sell this year, and it was the one one of the females that reabsorbed. So I actually was uh, going to let, you know, she wasn't very large, but I was going to let, you know, a small number, of, you know, of them out, but it's uh, just didn't end up happening, so. Right. Yeah. There's, uh, Damn. There's no secret Damn. army of those things. <laughs> Crap. Uh, you can't um, have everything, Eric. I yeah. Try. So, <laughs> I know, um, right? <laughs> you you cross the morphs into the different lines of brettle, or are you trying to keep certain lines of brettle pure? Well, I, I I keep them all separate and maintain their okay. kind of individual genetic integrity because if you there's a lot of examples of I mean there's nothing wrong with breeding a Afflorge right. to a Lazic I I have bred uh, those two European lines I've not mixed with anything else but I've I have okay. bred you know I'm not opposed to the idea nothing wrong with that at all I just in my own collection I like to be able to offer unrelated pairs to people and if you you know. I've seen bloodlines just get disappear entirely. I mean, we've had sure. multiple bloodlines of everything in this country at one point, and a lot of times we don't now because sure. people bred different lines together, didn't even know that they were unre- actually truly unrelated lines necessarily. 
they all got bred together and put in the big giant genetic meat grinder, and now you can't pick them apart. I mean, we should have multiple unrelated bloodlines of olive pine of everything, you know, for that matter. And we don't, we don't really, do we? I mean, we, because no. people did it and didn't keep track of anything. And then, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not opposed to the idea. I'd be a little leery of breeding like a really nice a fours line brettles to a hypo because those things are can be so bright anyway and have a fairly reduced black that you, I think you'd end up with babies that look like full blood hypos kind of pretty quickly. And that's not a bad thing as a pure brettle. It'd be beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm like, I don't know. I want to, I'm a little leery of the, how to market the hypos that aren't hundred percent hypo blood, because if it turns right. out it's a multi-locus trait, then the further down more removed you get from that, you're kind of watering things down uh, and stuff. So it would be, even if it looks as nice, it might not be quite as potent when you go to breed it. My fear with that is that if it turns out that that's how it's inherited, that people will you know breed their hypo male to a normal female, and then, hey, all these babies become hypo brittles, as if they're the same as the full-blood hypos. And then mm. people will take that generation of babies, and they'll breed those to normal animals. And like pretty soon you're, you have hypo brittles that are really only 25% hypo blood, aren't they? I yeah. mean, you can kind of see that uh, happening. So I kind of want to hopefully people get on board with kind of a, a consistent naming convention as far as that goes. So I kind of like how uh, Carrie and Todd have done with the tigers. We just make a percentage, you know, because you're breeding based on how many generations of tigers you bred the tiger to tiger, stripe to stripe, basically. Stripes and tigers, all the same shit as far as, you know, you can call it a tiger if you want, I suppose. It doesn't really make any difference. It's a multi-locus stripe. Coastal garbage, so it's all at a genetic level. They're all the same, but uh, but when you you know when you're breeding animals that are when you get a tiger from them, we'll say that it's like, you know its parents were both striped and they came from two striped snakes and they came from two striped snakes and the great grandparents were two striped snakes. So each time you do that, you're just really reinforcing that. It might be a multi-locus trait, but it gets increasingly more potent, and you mm-hmm. get better results. The phenotype is more extreme, and when you breed that to something, when you go to breed that to something that isn't a tiger, you get a more it really, you know, it kicks more ass. I mean, it's it's potent and stuff. It's a, it really works and stuff. So that, you know, whereas if you go the other way and you keep, you know, you breed that tiger to a, you know, something that's banded, but hey, there's a striped baby in the clutch, and then you breed that to something that's banded, and hey, even if you get a kind of a striped baby in the clutch, it's like it's not going to be, you're going to get diminishing returns uh, mm-hmm. as you're kind of, uh, you know, you're, some of those alleles that code for striping are dropping out, and the hypo will be the same way. So it can be more or less potent, and I just don't want to, I just want to see a bunch of t- very weak-looking 25% hypo blood things being sold as hypos, and you know, at least you know if you make it a percentage kind of thing, then it's like, hey, here's what it is, and you know, great. You know, right. that's like that nice seems like the best on. way to go. But yeah. I don't know. It's not really up to me. I can kind of start the ball rolling and all that, and uh, but oddly, I won't be making any half hypos. Like all mine will just be full hypos. So it's like it'll be to other people. I hope I've. You know, talk to everybody I've sold them to that this is probably the, and everybody seems to be on the same page, but we'll see how it goes mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, but uh, that's another thing cool. with these kind of traits that can be a bit, uh, if that's in fact even what we're talking about, uh, inheritance wise. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you'll know as soon as I know. I will not, it's not going to be a secret. I'll be just relieved. I, I mean, it's like, it's going to be, I don't care. I, I guess I care, but it's not, it's not. I don't care that much, I guess, as you could say. It's like right. they're beautiful. Demand seems to be un- insatiable. So, uh, and I tell everybody, you have to assume that it's a multi-locus trait because that's the worst-case scenario. And if you don't know for sure, you need to assume the worst, not the best. 
And, right. Right. Yeah. Doesn't seem to make a difference to anybody. So um, well, it's all. They're all attracted all to the bright hypo you read, and they kind of get blinders on to whatever you're saying because all they yeah. see is like pretty snake. So. Yeah, everybody, I've had someone, anybody that was disappointed, they all seem to be real happy with it. It's like, oh, they really look like that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so that was those funny. have gone over really well. It's like I'm kind of like curious what the the reception for the new morph will be. I mean, it's not every day you get an entirely new carpet python morph to actually become available, is it? That's a, oh. an entirely new oh. gene. It's not like anything else. It's totally different than everything else. Recessive one, no less, and it's actually going to be available. I mean, a lot of carpet people know that these things exist, but they've never been available. I think right. the number yeah. of stonewashed visual brettles that have ever changed hands is four. Right. Four. Uh, and that's it, ever. You know, it's like they just don't. Wow. And that's it. I mean, so it's hmm. uh, it's not, this will be the first year that actually you could actually just, if you wanted one, you might be able to buy one. Crap. Uh, stuff if it interests you. So my credit cards. I mean, it's kind of cool. Though. I mean, we don't now. get we don't get new carpet morphs very often. No, not that often. We're not the ball pythons or corn snakes. So do the math. It's year. like one every. If you yeah. do the math, it's like one every seven years or something. So uh, we should get excited. So, Come on. So if you don't get excited yeah. about this one, you're gonna be waiting a while for the next one, probably statistically. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, look at it. What have we in all these years? And what have we got? And people have been breeding carpets since, you know. We'll say at least the the very early '80s, at least, and there might yeah, have been some, a little bit of that in the '70s. But near by the early '80s, they were being bred uh, <laughs> with some regularity, anyway. And what have you got to? I mean, how many morphs do you have in 35 years? You've got, you know, not very many. If you do, <laughs> no. not all that many, is it? In 35, no. it works out to be like a morph every seven years or something. So. Uh, <laughs> this is the this is the one that's like uh, okay here it is we'll see you in you know 2012 seven more years yeah, <laughs> 20, 2022 rather and yeah, see you in 2022 yeah. if you don't like this one yeah there's always things that are you know kind of in development but I mean I've got a couple other potential morph carpet morph projects in the various stages of being proven out now but will they prove out you know, odds are always against you. So, got to keep it'll trying. It'll take though. some time to prove them out. So even then, you might be on pace for the years, seven years, years. new morph. Yeah, so, I'd be shocked if you proved one out, and then another year, oh, another one. You know, like I you know, know right away do. or something if, would just be crazy. Yeah, it's like two, if if they started happening like back to back to back, I'd be a little freaked out. So well, this one. I mean, even the stonewash. This is not like a new. I mean, it's like it is. It takes a long time to prove something out and bring it to fruition to the point where, there, okay, there are proven genetic babies that are now available. It has taken, I've had these things, it seems like, forever. Yeah. I mean, the original het adults that I've got are 10 years old. They're a decade old. It took a decade from the time those had wow. to the time I can give you the most definitive answer and have something to sell. A decade. And it won't be any different the next time around either. It's like those other new... Potential hypo-y things. If that if that turns out it's recessive, it's you know it will be. It's you about know like a long years, gestation yeah. period. And but stuff. by the time you go through all the motions, about ten years or something like that. So yeah. Well, I mean, uh, this year I I really uh, I mean I got my ass kicked on a lot of things, but I did great with like exanthic <laughs> coastal carpets. You know, well it's always every season you have your share of triumph and tragedy, don't you? It's like the 
Yeah. You wanted everything to work out great, and usually you, you crush it on a few things, and you get kicked in the nuts on some other things. It's kind of just the way it goes. You never hit it yeah. out of the park on everything, or rarely does that happen. So usually you, know, you share disappointments. And But I, I did great with Exanthic Coastals. But, okay, that Exanthic Coastal, that's been – that's not a new gene that just popped out like this year. That's been around a long time, but it just took it took this long until there was actually a, a number of them actually any significant number actually produced in the United States to actually sell to anybody. Other than that, it's been like onesies, twosies that go to insider guys like Eric and stuff, and it's uh, and that's it. You know, it's like I mean, you got one last year, but I mean, I did. <laughs> Yeah, I think I was the first one in the country to even produce a visual, and it was like last year was the first time, or no, two years ago was the first time, and it was you know like three snakes, you know, and I kept all of them, and then last yeah. year I actually had a couple. You can, it just it takes a while to, you know, uh, to get something to that to that point where there's something to actually sell and stuff, because usually when you something like that you're making your own, you got to keep the first visuals yourself, and then it's like, and that was with the stonewashed. I mean, I made, I kept the first couple pairs. And stuff, and, uh, and now, you know, they're and then had to wait four years for them to mature. So now, they're ready. I got a couple female visuals are ready, so I can finally make the hypo stonewashed uh, cross wow. the first generation of that. Uh, mm. Yeah, but that just means I have to. Oh, here's another twenty snakes I need to hold back. Great. Yep. <laughs> Where are these gonna go? I need to have a Brettles building or something. It's insane. Yeah. Site B. You need a site B. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I need a. I need a lease yep. island off the coast of Costa Rica. Uh, uh, oh yeah, there we go. Richard Attenborough. Apparently, yeah. like the. Uh, I love the nerdy Jurassic Park reference. So that's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I'm a geek too. I'm, I'm literally sitting there and up on my monitor on my computer is like a bunch of spoilers for the new Star Wars movies. So I get it. I'm a geek too. For everybody is. If we yeah. all are. I, mean, I took on. my kids to, to the store today to go look at all the new Star Wars toys that came out because they're big into Star Wars stuff. And I'm like, I really think it was probably more that I was excited. So I just <laughs> wanted to be like, I'll just, you guys want to go see those new lightsaber toys, right? I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah, 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 it's like, I think it's like, oh, being totally full disclosure, that might have been more for my own enjoyment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine oh, for my awesome. nephew. Yeah, no, I'm not. These are for me. And play with them later. Oh, man. It's great to be a geek. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Nerd on. A lot of levels, so that's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I don't know. I'm pretty happy. Uh encourage anybody nice. listen to uh, check out Stonewash Brettles if you're curious. I, I, I welcome the feedback. I don't really, I'm kind of, I don't know, sometimes you get a little too close. You're inside the bubble too much, you know, a little too right. close to some of these things. I don't really know what other people think in general. It's like, I'm pretty stoked, but I really love Brettles Pythons, and I've been, working on this for years now to get it to this point, kind of quietly hammering away at this and everything. So I'm kind of like convinced to my own self, but I mean, it's like, I don't know what the, to the average, you know, carpet enthusiast who's seeing this for the first time, I really don't know what they think of it. Is it that cool or is it you know, crappy? I don't know. Everybody's got an opinion. I'd, I'd actually be curious to see what people uh, uh, think of that. So anybody wants to go ahead and send me a Facebook message or something and give me their opinion, I don't you know, good, bad, or otherwise. That might have yeah. been a mistake to ask for that because you know, <laughs> I have no idea. But it's, you know, I don't know. I mean, they suck. I mean, like I doubt somebody's going to really just throw that out there. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's uh, different. But you know, difference. You know, some people I see mutations of things that I don't think are an improvement over a wild type. I mean, just because something is different doesn't mean it's better or worse or anything else. It's just different. It's just different, and we tend to True. fixate on the things that are different. Uh, you know, just because we want to see the difference. Yeah. Because it's different, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't, a lot of people, 
I don't, I don't follow these things, you know, this project that closely because I don't, you know, I don't. I tend to not post a lot of pictures of things. There isn't anything to talk about. I mean, it's kind of like, well, just hatched a bunch of these and wait for four years. You know, it's kind of what's been happening. It's kind of been a whole lot of just sitting and waiting and feeding things to get to this point. And then, okay, here we go. Now we got a whole big pile of these things all at one time. And uh, a pretty respectable pile of them. And, yeah, so it is kind of like a – I suppose if you're going to invest in a project, it's probably not the worst idea. It's like, okay, it's a recessive gene – in a species, it takes four. Even the males take four years before they'll breed. That's going to slow that roll way down. It is no like eighteen-month-old male breed a bunch of giant females you already had doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. They have, and the male won't breed anyway. It's like you're. There is no shortcut to waiting four years. And the problem with a lot of morphs and the volatility of any morph-based kind of market, you know, vis-a-vis. Uh, you know, pricing and everything is just that it, it proliferates so fast. I mean, a zebra, it's like, that's a neat snake. i got a bunch of them. But it's like, yikes, if you have a male that at 18 months can breed three adult, giant adult females, and you can literally make your one zebra could turn into 35 zebras and a bunch of normals, like, in a year and a half. And then a year after that, those 35 zebras can make, you know, 5,000. It's like you can see the exponential growth in the number of these things and how fast I can go, whereas if you have something mm-hmm. that's like, okay, you have to have a pair of these things to even make a visual, at least hats, right. and you're waiting four years. And you can't just breed it to something else because it's not like you have a bunch of hats, adults laying around anyway. It's like there's, it's going to slowly, it will be, it's going to be one of the things where they're available, but it's going to take a good while before they're common. And so right. you know, regardless of whatever the the level of, you know, economic interest in the project there is, it will be uh, slow. It won't be volatile. It should be the definition of kind of a steady, uh, as far as, you know, morphs go anyway. It should be pretty uh, pretty steady because there just isn't any, uh, you know, any way to cheat that system. on the. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if there was a way to get a brettle to breed young and small, I would have already figured it out because I have tried <laughs> and tried and tried. And I know good and well they're not going to do it, but – don't think I didn't put those visual stonewashed males who were big enough to breed and had sperm plugs and everything when they were two years old. Don't think I didn't put them with them. Uh, right. That hypo male, don't think I didn't put them with somebody. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, you know, I had a female, that, that striped girl, I knew you're going to breed this female, and she had years off waiting for him, so I put him in there, and he just did nothing, of course, until he became four years old, and he just, the light bulb turns on, and they do it. It's, uh, so it's like, not that I didn't give him the chance. I mean, because I, with recessive things, uh, and with the hypo, no, that's not recessive. I mean, I wanted to—I don't want any sperm storage to potentially cloud issues. So the females I use have had the year off before previously, yeah. uh-huh. uh, and so, so I don't have that problem really and uh, to worry about. So it's like, well, they had a year off. So it's like, well, I know I'm going to breed you in two years of this snake. So if I check you in here now and you don't do anything, no harm, no foul, is it? You know, it's like you're just going to see mm-hmm. him next year anyway. But you kind of like, will you do it? I keep waiting. It's like. It's got to happen eventually. Like, it can't be. Because they're biologically capable. They're big enough. They're producing sperm. They just don't seem to want to do anything until they're huh. that extra year. And it's it's frustrating. But, I mean, but it doesn't seem to. At this point, I find myself even getting in trouble where they're not even barely big enough at four years old. It's like, well, ain't no sense really powering, you through, powering them up to size, is there? You know, it's like I just kind of feed them on this kind of slow trajectory to be big enough in four years, which is pretty easy to do. But I've had right. a few where I'm like, oh, crap, I need to pick up the pace. I might not make it by four years <laughs> at this rate because there's, there's no rush. I mean, it's you got a long time to get there, but so you take your eye off the ball a little bit and, yeah. and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so 
new carpet python morph available. Sweet. That's awesome. For the first time ever. And it looks nice. It, um, it, I, I, I think it's cool. Animal. I mean, you put the picture yeah. up. I'd love to get some, I don't know, public opinion. I mean, uh, I have thick skin, so if you think it's ugly or whatever, you can just say that. That's fine. <laughs> well, I, to, I don't need to be flattered. If you don't like it, you don't like it. I mean, it's like it's yeah. not every morph is for everybody. There are things I like and don't like. I mean, everybody's like this. There's no right or wrong answer, but I genuinely – you kind of get inside the bubble a little bit too much, you know what I mean? It's like I'm in the kind of the, I don't know, with the this kind of stuff, and you know, I've been, I don't know. Sometimes you, you can't see the forest for the trees, and sort of step back and hear what other people think of something instead of me, who I've just convinced myself it's awesome. Uh, but it's, I don't know. I kind of like how the uh, the head is kind of, you know, it looks like your typical brettles, and then as soon as you hit the neck, it just kind of changes. Um, it's literally like they just like it's like a weird morph and like they just glued the head off a different snake on because like right yeah. at the back of the neck right yeah. at the beginning of the neck and the back of the head it's just like the, it completely changes like abruptly like in a line it's like the head is completely normal and the neck immediately goes to depigmented uh, it's weird and they're all 100% of them are like that it's just the only variation is how far back the depigmentation goes and I've got some of these where you've got like that blushing goes pretty much the whole snake I don't know what they will look like as adults because I hadn't hatched any that were that extreme before but now that I've you know hatched enough of them you see uh, you know uh, the, a greater degree of variation with a larger sample size so yeah right. good stuff pretty yeah. wild I, I can't wait to see when they shed a few more times and start getting yeah, maybe they shed the first time. I mean, I've just—I mean, I basically like just took a couple pictures in their uh, yeah. they were hatching, and that's it. And haven't really messed with them since. I tried to take a better picture uh, with like three of them, kind of in a, you know, all kind of piled up together, and they were just not having any part of it. Just the total it's like trying damn you. <laughs> wriggling worms. Yeah. You, you can't get. It's hard enough to get one baby carpet kind of corralled and sit this is still for a picture, but trying to get three, you never. There's always a head out of focus. I just gave up. So. <laughs> they'll uh, yeah. they'll shed soon. They're they're pretty big and robust, so I I should have a, a bunch of them shed here pretty quick and um, take cool. some post shed picks and everything for you. Yeah, that'll be cool. I'm posting them over uh, with the link to the show over on the uh, pick of the week now, so uh, people. Oh can yeah, see it. yeah. That's the, the go-to place. Uh, <laughs> Carpet. Uh, oh, sorry. Sorry, he, he oh, you're literally doing it right now. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. doing it right now. So I was talking about yeah. that. We usually, move that quickly here. Yeah. See, that's Nick, that's usually when that's something like good. that happens, that's kind of lingo for the co-host to kind of take over, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, you're uh, so, you're, um, good, you're good at multitasking. I'm more of a monotasker myself. I can't do – I can do one thing at a time really awesome, but if you ask me to do a second thing, I usually will suck at it. I can't seem to – that it, see, the problem I is can't. that he's caught looking at pictures of them, so it's like he goes to start post things, and I'm already looking at them, so it doesn't work. <laughs> but I get distracted by them anyway. Um, Nick, are you like obviously the plans are to take the stone wash and push them out into the other brettle morphs? Um, I guess yeah, I did the math be- on what it'll take me. I, I did the math, and unfortunately, came up to make a visual hypo stone wash genetic stripe should take about 12 years. Damn it. <laughs> All You're right. talking about a double recessive plus whatever, whatever the hypo is going to factor into that. It's like, crap, that's going to take a while. Presuming that I hit everything on the first try. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, man, it could be long. Because you cannot make – you cannot <laughs> – begin to make a triple visual until you have at least made one double visual. Uh, so when I make like a hypogenic stripe, I can then breed that, you know, in three years, I can make a hypogenic so stripe, which then I can breed, well, I'd probably just wait one more year because one more year after that, I'll have made a stonewash genetic stripe because I made the double heads this year. And yeah. then I can breed a, a hypo stripe to a stonewash stripe and you make a whole clutch where everybody's a stripe that's 100% het for stonewashed and may or may not be hypo. And then you've got, but then you've got three, the three morphs in one snake, but you're not getting the full expression of them. You've got, you know, some heterozygosity going on and stuff. And then you've got to wait one more generation beyond that to breed those animals together to make the the triple visual and stuff. And that, and then if yeah. this other thing pans out to be a new type of hypo, then I've just got to, I don't the know, just get rid of all the other carbon and just breed yeah. rattles pythons apparently because Jesus. it's a, uh, yeah, I'll be re- I'll be like on Social Security by the time I make the the four genes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> triple recess, triple recessive, and then a you know a dominant or whatever. You know, that's just like, are you kidding me? That's I mean, I'll I'll work it. I, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm on it. <laughs> I'm definitely wow. going for it, but it's like it's you got to be. It's not like a you know going to make a a zebra jag or something where you can make the visual, the double visual in 18 months after you get one snake, you've made the double. It's like, it's, you know, it's a, or where the ingredient snakes can, you know, mature. I mean, even a, you know, an albino mud or otherwise, you know, even a female will breed at two and a half years. That's a damn sight faster than, you know, three and a half, isn't it? You know, you're adding them and and you don't get, you know, you don't even get the fast turnaround on males. You got to wait forever on them. So it's, yeah, uh, but while it takes longer, you do end up with greater market stability for sure. So, uh, and that's you know probably better in the long run. Really, I mean, riding the. I mean, you guys are kind of power players, I suppose it's safe to say now. Eric, uh, Carpet Python community, you've got a fairly good collection yourself there, Owen. I don't, don't you're not a, certainly not a newbie, yet, that's for sure. You've got some pretty good stuff there lurking over there. So it's you know, and as you know, you guys have you know, kind of definitely dipped your toe in the kind of deep end of the pool as far as the, you know, the high end stuff. I mean, it, it, that volatility is frustrating and stressful yeah. at times. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, because there gets to be yeah. a lot of riding on things. It's like, well, you know, you know, I wish that wouldn't happen, you know, or so it's, you know, it's things that are kind of a, it might be a slow burn, but it's, you know, it's a, you know, it's a lot longer ride too. It's not going to be, uh, some new, you know, it's not going to be some crazy volatile thing where stonewash brittles are going to drop by 90% from this year to next year. It's like, no, because there's going to be, you know, this tiny handful, and then there'll be another handful next year, and then this is, this is going to take a long time before they're really commonly available and stuff. I mean, yeah. when you've got multiple people breeding visuals to visuals and making, you know, 20, 30 of them at a pop, at that point, things will start to go somewhere. But initially, it's like the next... You know, the next several years is not going to be the case. I mean, no. I've got two visual females. I will breed one pair of visuals together and make a whole clutch of them. That will be it. The other one's going to breed to a hypo. And that's all the beto visuals. I mean, so there's just like, and with the first time, I will probably produce maybe the same number of visuals next year, best case scenario, about the same as I did this year, next year. Even though I'll have a het female and two visual females, it just it won't work out to be, a, it just won't be a million of these things around. Because it's just not possible for it to be, but that's that's fine. I mean, it's uh, uh, 
keep some anticipation going, I guess. If it's if they're all of a sudden on, you know, on everybody's table at every show, then it kind of some people lose interest in that. It becomes too common. So, but yeah. we're crossing a milestone in that they will actually be around. They will actually uh, they will actually mm-hmm. exist. Yeah. Other than like previously, I think there've been four ever sold. It was all kind of very quietly, not publicly even sold. Just kind of four individual animals, and that's right. and that's it. So. I know these things so have to keep track of all of them uh, and where they are. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to – that's a good advice for anybody. If you're going to invest yeah. any sizable amount of money in a project, you should do your market research, man. It's like you wouldn't invest no, in a – you, inver- yeah. you Exactly. You wouldn't invest in a stock just randomly, would you? You'd want to do – you know, any advisor would advise you to do your market research, you know, kind of see what – you know, kind of see the lay of the land. And, and then, you know, snake morphs, I guess, that would be – how many damn things are there? Because if there's only five or something, that's one thing. If there's 50, that's a whole different thing because the potential for reproduction and how many of them, prolif- how fast they proliferate and more end up on the market, that's how fast the price is going to come down. You can kind of figure it out. I mean, it's very, you know, and and more than that, and not necessarily more than that, but adjacent to that is like, you know, who has them? Because certain people are more likely to kind of piss in the punch bowl than other people. And you can figure that out. And you kind of like, it's just, you know, I don't want to flush my money in the toilet. I mean, it's it's true, though. It's, you know, there are people out there who have a, a bit of a problem habitually doing that. Uh, there are always those people that will seek short-term gain. And you always see the, even you see it all the time. Anybody's ever looked at a reptile classified, whether it's on Facebook or wherever, you always see the same just throwaway bullshit lines, though. It's just like, Temporary price reduction. I'm only <laughs> selling this to fund another project. You know, all this. It's all crap. It's all crap. It's like you know, I'm only I'm only selling this for a limited time, only to fund this other project. It's like you're no, just you know, and it's always the the preemptive excuse for why you're going to sell something for what, because like well, most people you got two choices. If you got to sell something, it's like, do I want to work hard to sell this, or I just want to cut the price and just do nothing. And there will always be people who do that. So it's like knowing yeah. who's in the boat with you when you invest in something, it makes a difference. And how many of them there are and what the potential reproductive rate of those things are based on how, you know, that's all. Anybody, it'd be foolish to invest. You know, everyone, uh, you might love the morph or love the snake or be very enthusiastic, but it would be foolish to invest a lot, unless you just have the money to burn, to just blindly throw money at something because you want it. I mean, you should do the, the homework. I mean, look at all the people bought banana ball pythons, I mean, in the, oh, two years ago, and you see that just completely imploded, and imploded to such an extent it took the entire ball python market down with it because they all lost, it's all consumer confidence, isn't it? They lo- People yeah. lost, that floundered so spectacularly that people lost confidence in ball pythons as an investment in general, and now everything's cheap. Mm-hmm. I've got three of them, I know. I mean, it's like a, I didn't, you know, pay a bunch of money for them and everything. I saw the writing on the wall a long time ago, but it's still, it's like kind of that stuff can happen. This is just, just an example of like, you know, do your homework before and think really objectively and don't just convince yourself of the, you know, the, a lot of people, if they want something to be true, they will convince themselves, this will be a, you know, I'll buy this expensive snake and then it'll breed the very first available chance to a million females and I'll make a hundred thousand babies and people will line up at my door to wake me up in the morning to give me fistfuls of money for these things. And it's like, that doesn't really ever happen, does it? It's like, it never happens. Yeah. Things can go wrong. <laughs> Snakes drop dead on rare occasion. It's rare, but I mean, it can happen. They can certainly be poor breeders. I've had that happen with very expensive yeah. animals. It's just, they don't all breed really well. Sometimes you get a dud that just doesn't 
you know, is not a particularly good breeder, and that can happen. I mean, you know, things can go wrong, and you should be a savvy investor in all things in life, and that certainly includes, I don't know why I'm saying all this. I'm, like, talking to people out of buying these damn snakes. But it's, <laughs> you know, it's, well, I mean, this is a, probably a pretty good case for doing your homework. I mean, it's, you know, you should do your homework and everything. You should never just blindly throw money at something. That's crazy, especially if it's, you know, if you're buying something that you're happy just to have it to look at it, well, that's fine. But if you're buying it because, and let's face it, anybody buys, a, I don't know what I'm going to charge for these stonewashed brettles yet. I'm still trying to sort that out. Oh. But, I mean, they're not going to be dirt cheap snakes. They're going to be kind of expensive, no. I suspect. And anybody that's, you know, you're going to spend any significant, the money that they're going to cost, you're probably, those people invariably want to reproduce them and make that money back. I've, you know, rarely, I've not sold a hypo brettles yet to anybody as a pet. You know, yeah, eventually, yeah. you know, given the long view, it will take a long time for them to be, you know, eventually everything's a couple hundred bucks, isn't it? It'll be a very long yeah. time before that happens with those, but eventually they will get to a point where someone will buy one just to have it to look at it, and that's that's fine. But it's like you shouldn't, you know, don't, uh, I don't know, cover all the bases, dot all your eyes, cross your T's, and really kind of think, of, you know, objectively, what's the worst case scenario, and really, you know, think about that. And we all see people, we saw a lot of people with the Jags and, to a lesser extent with the zebras, but where people bought something that was very expensive and then like, you know, and then they're endlessly complaining, oh, the price came down and, you know, that, you know, it's like, well, of course it did. You know, it's like, and it was entirely foreseeable too, wasn't it? it was like, was gonna go, yeah. if you didn't, if you didn't see it coming, it's because you put the blinders on on purpose and just didn't want to look. Cause it's like clear that this is what's going to happen. You know, with those two being, you know, incomplete dominance and males that will routinely breed at 18 months, that's going to be a fast ride, isn't it? Uh, you know, yep. albinos are much slower because it's recessive, but even still, I mean, if you breed them to absolutely everything you have and the females will mature, you know, two years, two and a half years, the males a year and a half, they proliferate fairly fast. This is a little different with the centralian stuff because it's, you know, both sexes taking four years, a whole lot different, but it's, but it's, you know, do your homework. I do. I always, I'm always based everything on like the worst case projection. Like if, if this falls, I present, and this is, you know, I've been doing this for years, but this is something that goes back to a conversation I had with Paul, my good friend Paul Harris, years and years and many years ago. And he said, you know, he goes, I, if I buy something, I presume that he just assumes that, and I do the same thing, that the price is going to decline 75% between the time you buy the animal and the time you produce whatever it is, whether it's a more right. for a species or whatever. And if you can live with that, go ahead and do it. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty pessimistic. Uh, right. It rarely actually happens that something declines seventy five percent. But you know what? Even if it does, as long as you make four of them, you're fine, aren't you? It's like if you have real. I think a lot of people get in trouble because they have unrealistic expectations. I paid ten thousand yeah. dollars for this snake, therefore I'll sell all the babies for ten thousand dollars, and so like, well, that's not going to happen. But they're not. You're not trying to make all your money back on one egg, typically either. So it's you, know, you got to kind of have a realistic kind of expectation. So I expect seventy five percent price decline and. And it rarely is that, but even if it is, it's always fine and stuff. So, yeah, I think I think as far as like uh, the whole market of things and all that kind of stuff, I think the thing that the Carpet Python group misses is trying to expand the group. Uh, you know, we like post pics to each other all the time, but we don't mm-hmm. like post pics to people that don't know about carpets. You know, I mean, yeah, I guess a- I can't really. I can't really preach it to you, Nick, because you wrote a book. Um, yeah. We do a podcast. <laughs> I, did my, I did my part, man. I've, I've, yeah. I've published a lot of stuff. Right? 
Yeah. Well, we do a podcast every week. It's not that easy. Yeah, right. no, it's <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I'm just saying, like, you got to, like, get other people into it if you want to kind of grow the market. I mean, people kind of whine up. and complain about they can't sell their snakes, they can't tell this, they take a shitty pick. They th- you know, they don't do anything to better themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I, I, I find most people that complain the most about not being able to sell things are the people who put the least effort into it. It's like if you're, yeah. you're going to complain yeah. about if the sum total of your effort is taking a crappy cell phone pick of a snake with a stuck shed and a piece of a turd in the background of a picture, for God's sake, and you wonder why it can't sell. I mean, it doesn't sell. Then, well, it's, and you put it on your Facebook page, and that's the sum total of what you're doing. Well, then you, know, you get into life whatever you you get out of life whatever you put into it. If you don't put in you put in maximal effort, you'll get a much better resort. If you put in minimal effort, you generally don't get the greatest results. So you have to – I sell a lot of snakes, but I spend a lot of time selling snakes. I put right. a lot of effort <laughs> into that. I mean, it's – you get out of anything what you put into it. I mean, it's like it's – reward is directly proportional, I mean, to risk. You you gain – if you don't risk anything, you don't gain anything. If you don't work hard, you don't achieve anything. You don't – there's no free ride in anything, is there? No. Nobody's just going to show up and hand you some awesome project and, oh, here you go. And uh, and then people just line up to buy it from you uh, when they just breathe by themselves. You've got to do some stuff. If you want something, you need to go out and make it happen. It's kind yeah. of my mantra for life. I just get so tired of people's, like, just uh, that kind of attitude. Like, they just, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, an entitlement sort of attitude. But it's like, man, if you want something good to happen for yourself, then go out and grab it. Go do it. Chase it down. Wrestle that thing to the ground, whatever it is, and make it happen. Right. Or quit complaining about it. <laughs> <'Cause> it's, <you laughs> know, it's like... It's true. It is so true. It's like just go freaking do it. You know, yeah. it's like just make up your mind what's important and then make it happen. And if you and follow through with your plan, it's like but amazing people don't. It's so much easier to make excuses for failure than it is to work hard to succeed. And yeah, stuff. And right. it's like you know, oh, this is not selling. That's selling. Well, then try something else. Do something else. Get a I mean, photo. Total Take change. a better friggin' it's picture. Better you know, I'm not camera, a great photographer yeah. by any means, but it's like you know, it's like I take adequate pictures. You know, you know, you're not looking for a Pulitzer Prize Fine. here. I mean, just, <laughs> don't don't They're take your pictures normal. with your cell phone. Yeah, uh, make sure the cage is clean. I don't know. Be it may call me crazy, but use a real camera and with actual lights. Uh, don't use a crappy cell phone picture in a dirty tub. That's not with a stuck shed, and you see that all the time, don't you? Yeah. It's insane. It's like if you're – because subconsciously, what are you saying to people? I don't know how this turned into a snake sales 101 class, but it's kind of like <laughs> you're telling people like – going to get here. So. I, what are you telling when you take that crappy picture or something? I am so lazy, I'm not even going to bother to take a proper picture. Because what are people thinking <laughs> that? It's like, huh, then that guy's probably too lazy to clean that cage either. It's like if, if you're willing to if – if you're not going to put your best foot forward and put in the minimal effort to actually – you know, present your animal in the best possible light, then you're probably not too up on your maintenance, are you? <laughs> you know, you're probably uh, not like you're probably not cleaning that glass in the front of that cage very often either. You know, it's uh, if not you're feeding it that often. Yeah, do the minimum. I mean, it's like sometimes you need to not just do the minimum to get by, and you need to do the do the best. If you're going to do something, it's kind of the Yoda mentality: do or do not. Don't try. <laughs> just if you do yeah. it. Do it. You know. <laughs> And that's it. Yeah, I mean, it's get back to being a geek. See, uh, yeah, there you go. Right a full circle. <laughs> that's yeah. right. But it's true, though, man. I mean, it's like how many times in your life you like if you decide I'm going to do this, I'm going to make this happen. If you really commit yourself, it pretty much happens, doesn't it? You get it done. Yeah. It's like well, it's, 
this podcast is a perfect example of that. You know, I mean, it's just like, oh, yeah, that would be a good idea. You know, listen to the reptile radio guys. And I'm like, man, somebody should do one about carpets. Like, well, I don't really know that much about carpets at this point, but nobody else is doing it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> what the yeah. hell? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Then I, I think people. Then I showed up and made it worse. So, yeah. you know, how it rolls. <laughs> You're like you the Ed McMahon to his Jimmy Carson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah, exactly. He does all you're, work. you're officially just, Andy Richter. My life is complete. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Go, that was good, Eric. Good job. Next. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good example of the of the philosophy, though, is it not? I mean, it's kind of like you're going to wait around for somebody else to do something, or you're going to do it. I mean, right. a lot of people, I think they just wait around. Oh, that'd be a good idea if someone would do that. Well, then if you've got a good idea that you think needs to be done, then do it. You know, don't wait around. I think people wait around to be ordained by God to do something. Or it's like, just freaking do it. If you think it's, if there's a need, <laughs> and then make it happen. Yeah. I mean, just, and follow through. Instead of like this, if I had a nickel for every time I heard somebody's like daydreams of what might be a good idea, that they just, they just lack, they might have a good idea and lack any follow through on it and just follow through and do it. That's the difference between success and failure. It's like, well, for one, it's like not being afraid to try. I mean, most people defeat themselves before they even try, don't they? They're like, mm-hmm. oh, I could never do this. I could never do that. It's like, well, yeah, if you don't think you can do it, you you can't do it, can you? I mean, you have to believe you can do something if you're going to actually do it. <laughs> yeah. If you can't convince yourself, you're certainly not going to convince anybody else. I mean, it's you've got to believe in what you're doing and just make it happen, man. It's like, I just can't imagine going through life and not ever... Everybody has that dream, whatever it is. It's different for everybody, probably, or that right. series of dreams. And to go through your whole life and never really try to reach for it, you know what I mean? Just never even try. Just defeat yourself before you even try. I, you know, I, whether that's hosting a podcast or breeding snakes or whatever it is, like just you know, you can't be afraid of failure. You're never gonna try anything. You just gotta gotta go for it, man. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I always relate other stories as. Uh with music with me and it's the same thing like when i was coming up eddie van halen was the shit for me on guitar like to me there was nobody better i was just totally letting everybody know how old body. we are you know that right <laughs> yeah i know that's okay I'm, anyway. the same exact, I'm exactly the same age as you i'm totally with you man believe me yeah. but <laughs> well, you don't know eddie van halen is a guitarist who the hell is he talking about yeah <laughs> anyway my thing like, yeah exactly my uh my thing was is that I was going to play with that guy one day. I was going to jam with that guy. I had it in my mind that somehow, some way, I was going to jam with that guy. And I was going to meet him and hang out. And I did. You know what I mean? Because they had this contest. It, it, this is a perfect example. They had this contest that you had to go and play Eruption. And, you know, they had these people standing there. And they were about to give it to this kid that couldn't even play guitar. He couldn't even play guitar. And nobody else wanted to do it because they would say, nah, I'm not going to get it. There's probably people better, you know. And here I wake up real early in the morning, go to this place, and I just start playing it. And they're like, okay, well, clearly this guy's going to get it. And I'm like, oh, shit, I can't believe it. I'm going to meet Andy Van Halen and hang out with him and play guitar with him. This is crazy, you know. So I, you're absolutely right. You, you yeah. just have to say. Check that off your bucket list. Play jam with Eddie <laughs> yeah. Van Halen. Who ever can say that? That's awesome. I mean, it's like it doesn't matter what the dream is. It's just the matter is that you try and you just work away at it and you try. And if you don't, I mean, to, to have tried and failed is is one thing. To have never tried is sad. You know, right. it's like just to never, have never attempted it and everything. I just can't imagine. 
I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. It's like I've at least done and tried some stuff. I mean, I've just been afraid to try. I don't even, I don't even understand yeah. why you want to Absolutely. go through life like that. So, no, you've, yeah. uh, like you said, you thought there's there should be a reptile podcast about carpets, and you made one. Here we've we actually made probably are. the most consistently broadcast reptile podcast ever. In that <laughs> it is like it's a lot of work, especially a weekly. Jeez, I mean, you guys yeah. are always there. Rain or shine, yeah. sleet or snow. If you're late, you're made with a makeup. You guys are always on. Yeah. That takes a level of. I know what it takes. It's it's a lot yeah. of work. I don't have I don't have time to do it every week. I know that. I mean, it's. I wish it did, yeah. but it's. It is a lot of work, and that's to be commended. And it's like, but you, you know, you just you get it done. You put in the time, you put in the work, and you make it happen. You don't make excuses. Right. Get the damn job done and stuff. Everybody just I don't know. Just grab it by the balls and get it done. I mean, it's like sometimes you got to just put on your big boy pants, power through, and get it done. I'm quite sure yep. there have been weeks where you're like, I cannot believe I have to do this now. I do not have time to deal with sometimes this. Sometimes you do it three times a week. So, but you got yeah. it done anyway. Yeah. And stuff. So it's, well, and I think you're, I'm sure your listenership appreciates that every Tuesday, come hell or high water, you're going to be there. And yeah. stuff, and that, well, that matters. I was, I was saying about how earlier in the week at our on our Monday show, I was talking about how I listen to podcasts all the time, and I get super bummed out when their podcast isn't there and it's supposed to be, and I get super <laughs> excited when I'm not expecting one to be, and then, you know, because I have a long drive to work back and forth, and that makes the time uh, go by pretty, pretty uh, painlessly, you know, and. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like today when I was driving home, I was like, oh, Herp Nation has a podcast. Oh, it's Nick's. Sweet. You know, I'm like, driving home, I'm like, okay. Of course, when yeah, you were level genetics you were talking, I think my head exploded. That got a little complicated. I mean, that was like at the – but it, yeah, that was the idea. It's kind of like okay. I mean, the basic fundamentals of it. I mean, a lot of herpers have some grasp on that. But it's like, well, you got to get out of your comfort zone. If you're just going to talk about the yeah. same stuff you already understand, what is the point of listening to that? It's like let's right. push this to the next level of, you know, you should challenge your own limitations and your own knowledge. And like, okay, it's time to go another step beyond that, even if it's intimidating or even if it's perhaps uh you know difficult to get your brain around and it's for me sometimes some of that stuff is too it's not like i'm like i'm not a geneticist i mean i'm a nerd and i'm very interested in that stuff i have a i suppose better than average grasp of it but i'm not a geneticist i don't there's no initials after my name or anything mm-hmm. so it's uh you know but we're talking about transposon mutations and this kind of it it's pretty i'm sure if you're a you know if you're a geneticist that's not terribly complicated but for the average herper it's like this I wanted to get to a level of discussion that is beyond the basic discussion of, you know, uh, you know, Mendelian inheritance and, you know, multi allele complexes and this kind of stuff and go, okay, what's more complicated than that? And that show grew out of I, I actually hatched a I never posted a picture of it. I think I told I might have told you, Eric. I hatched a granite from a non het. Oh, yeah, that I read a visual yeah. granite male to a wild caught female and produced one visual granite baby. Phenotypically granite, it is not genetically granite because it's not possible for it to be. Because the female mother is not is a wild caught and is not a het for granite. I bred them last year, and I got ten or eleven eggs and no granites, no surprise. And I bred them this year again, and I got thirteen babies, with one being kind of a slightly runtish small granite, though he eats good and everything. So it's like, how is that possible? Right. And so that, that'd be a good time to. I actually have a. 
geneticist on speed dial. It'd be a good time to good subject. <laughs> I, <thought so>. I, already, <laughs> yeah. I already knew how it was possible. Actually, like, I had a premonition I was going to hatch one in, in that clutch. I'm thinking to myself, like, I've hatched every kind of weird and not genetic anomaly you can have, practically. It's like the one thing I haven't hatched is the the phenotypical uh, homozygous animal where it shouldn't occur. I know that's possible, and I've seen it happen. And whenever it happens, people invariably jump to the least likely explanation, that there is some hidden right. gene involved or that, <laughs> you know, or that the mother must have been a het after all. It's like, you know, no, it's that yeah. it's, you know, it's genetically broken. And if I were to dare breed that snake, it might really unleash a Pandora's box of confusion in two gen- two generations later, because it's right. almost certainly missing some genes uh, and stuff on from one from the from the uh, mother side stuff. If you've got missing information, so it just expresses a heterozygous animal that's missing another that other allele from the mother, and thus is expressing the homozygous phenotype, of the one gene it does have. But it's not really a het. But if you were to breed that animal as a, say you were to breed it to a het female, you would get exactly the ratios you would expect. You would get half granites, half hets. But the hets you got, half would be normal genetic hets, half would be nulled hets. They would be hets that are not, they would... They would be missing. They wouldn't actually have any copies of the granite gene. They would be missing one copy of that gene at that locus, though, and that's very different. Right. So the first generation, you get exactly what you predicted. But anybody that bought hets from that pairing would be a possibility. They'd just be getting animals that are missing genes entirely. And then if you were to breed those animals together, you could conceivably get like both copies could be. You could just be. You're making increasingly more genetically broken animals. Then there could be consequences. There almost certainly would be consequences of that if you've got no copies of a gene. Or right. multiple genes potentially, so it's like I don't think it's wise to breed that snake. But it's like you can. Right. Most people would just like sell it. What would they do? They would sell it as a granite because it's like a granite. Oh, yeah. here's a granite. Uh, didn't expect that. Don't know where that came from. Oh, it's a granite. But you know, a couple generations in the line, you can have all kinds of problems uh, and stuff with that kind of a thing. So I've seen right. this happen in carpets before. Um, I want to say it was was it Jake Milbrandt? Who was it? Years ago, they bred a. A jag to a jag sibling, back when people thought jag siblings were something magical and endowed with <laughs> magical powers. <laughs> that, they're like, they're special and endowed with magical powers. It's like, yeah. yeah. In my house, they're just called normal coastal carpets, but whatever. Uh, but uh, they, uh, it was a jag to a jag sib, and they had a dead Lucy in the clutch. And there was, ah. oh, it must be. Some, you know, thought, it convinced, of course, stare at it too long, convince yourself of something that is not really what's going on. And, uh, you know, because it wasn't a jag to jag, it was a jag to, you know, and then all kinds of speculation. This is on the old MP forum, another topic of conversation of late. Uh, yeah. And uh, about how, you know, might, might have found, you know, some new way to make a white carpet, of, you know, which, of course, what it was, was an animal that got the jag gene from the dad and the mom's gene didn't come across at all. And it just had a nulled allele, and thus throughout the whole snake, and thus it defaulted to a white snake because that was the one gene it did have. So it expressed homozygous jaguar, and was dead, and stuff. So, but I mean, people always jump to the conclusion they want a lot of times, not necessarily what you know the evidence really is telling you. Right. But uh, I thought it'd be nice to demystify that. So I've had him on talk about like chimerism and all that, and you know, mm-hmm. hatched a good one of those last year, and then I got the the complete it's effectively a complete paradox isn't it it's like it's every gene and it's it's the whole snake is just looks like something it actually kind of sort of isn't uh, and stuff, so. <laughs> yeah yeah who knows what i'll add i'm, I'm kind of 
Maybe next year I'll have something else weird. I don't know. If I you hatch 500 <laughs> babies a year, there's bound to be something weird going on. What yeah. else is there left? I mean, you just said you pretty much cleared everything. I mean, now we're going to start uh, getting yeah, into the Yeah, I've kind of run the... Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I've had all the weird. I've had two two-headed carpets in the same ah. year. Like in the same month, I had two I had a two-headed ivory and a two-headed zebra. Um, wow. But that never lasts really. The number of those that survive is that's pretty ridiculously unlikely. Yeah. I mean, they can. I mean, Anthony hatched one years yeah. ago. It's can they eat? And usually 99 times out of 100 there's an obstruction where the spines are fused and they can't pass a meal and they die right. and stuff. Yeah, I had two two-headed ones. I've had I've had three sets of identical triplets. Three sets of them. Oh, my God. I've had a low wow. year on twins. I've only had five sets of identical twins this year. Um, only five. I've got a couple clutches I, left. but it's, uh, I had one set so far. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so. <laughs> I've had five sets in one clutch before. I mean, Jeez. it's uh, so that wow. was kind of a, you know, it was four sets of twins and a set of triplets in one clutch. Double, um, double all the babies. Right. And uh, one of the triplets was the father of the two-headed ivory jungle. Uh, I, kept, I kept back one of the surviving male triplets, and I bred him to his sister and got two sets of twins, one of which was fused into a two-headed ivory jungle. So, right. yeah, I've had two-headed, a couple two-headed ones. I've had, you know, a really good paradox. Now I've had a few minor paradoxy ones, but the one good chimera type one. Uh, now this complete granite where it shouldn't possibly be uh, and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, uh, so, yeah, wow. I don't know, there's always something. I mean, there's weird yeah. things like uh, you can see we have a snake with one head and two bodies. I've seen that before. Oh. I've not hatched one. That's really rare. I mean, so there's oh. there's all kinds of freaks I can I can still hatch and stuff. I suppose, but like I said, you get to like the four or five hundred babies a, a year, and you'll see there's bound to be some anomaly in there most years. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so okay. you have that to look forward to as you keep producing more and more babies every year. <laughs> I'm never going to get as high a number as you, Nick. I mean, geez. yeah, I used to say that too. I used to, yeah. say, that too. I used to say, uh, I used to say other dumb things like, oh, if I just build this snake building, then I won't have any reptiles in my house anymore. And as I'm sitting in my office with a bunch of freaking blue tongue skinks, three big cages full of geckos, a freaking tarantula. Why do I have a tarantula? I mean, it's here? like, yeah, and like I'm thinking, like I'm putting some CV70 racks here. I'm getting me some more skinks. You know, it's like, I'm like, yeah. So we we say all kinds of dumb things, don't we? So it's like never say never. I never thought, you know, I never thought I was going to. I mean, at some point, I decided I was going to breed snakes full time, and I would do this. Right. Uh, significant level but i mean for a long time that wasn't what the plan you right know, it's kind of uh you know i thought oh you know at least i told myself that and i certainly told my wife that and, oh no it's you know just a couple more just a couple more it's like you know <laughs> you realize what you just really what it is you really want to do in life and it's like i'm going for it and uh, you do so well, there you go yeah. there's another example yeah. you just do it you know you do it. You you yeah. you just do it. You just pick up that guitar and you jam with that Evan Allen. You do it. It's yeah. like you, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, googling Eddie Van Halen right now. It's ridiculous. That's sad if I got to Google Eddie Van Halen. Maybe I'm just <laughs> yeah, a child of the shit. '80s, but you should know, but you should know that. That should be. Yeah. Uh, I would punch, punch somebody in the head if they don't know who he is. <laughs> Bent over. I'm so such an old school metalhead. Anyway, I mean, yeah. it just jeez. So that's yeah. a. You played yeah. Eruption for Eddie Van Halen. So that is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Not the Pretty easiest bit to play either. No. No. 
I, you know that again. That's another thing. Like when I first heard that song, it was just like there's no way that I would ever be able to do that. And I was like, you know what? Well, I can do this, and that's not much different than that. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I probably could do. Holy shit! Then when you start to be able to do it a little bit, and then you get pumped up, and then you can do a little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah. You know. You just gotta then, find that little part of your brain that tells you you can't do stuff, and then just carve it out with a melon scooper. Once you do that. <laughs> Yeah. Take the little melon baller thing and you just scoop that part of your brain that says, I can't do this shit, and you just scoop that yeah. part out. And once that's done, you'd be surprised what you can accomplish when you stop telling yourself you can't do stuff. Yeah. You just believe you can just, like, the confidence or cockiness or whatever it is to believe that you believe you can pull it off. You'd be surprised how much, how far that'll go. I mean, <laughs> you can, uh, like, I yeah. can do this. It might be hard. It might take a long time, but I'm not incapable of doing this. I will figure this out. And you believe that, and you persevere you will generally figure it out and stuff so it's uh not having to just keep going so now that's awesome jam with yeah. eddie van halen jeez the presence <laughs> of greatness <laughs> what's that's your what dream owen story. come on and we know uh, my mine was to breed snakes for mine was to write books and breed snakes for a living i guess but uh, uh and eric's was to jam with eddie van halen what is your what is your unfulfilled dream or have you already oh, done it's, it it's not unfulfilled um my fulfilled dreams were to fuck around in a zoo for several years, which I did, um, and raised several animals in my house, including lions, tigers, uh, grizzly bear, porcupine, lemurs, and a cheetah. So that was pretty awesome. That was mine. Now I know something about you. I didn't know. I've known you for years and now I know something new about you. What's your new dream that you need to pursue? I don't know. We're so far off topic anyway. There's no point saving it. I didn't pay off my mortgage in a steady rate. I got you on that one. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like everybody's got that. If you accomplish one dream, you got to then just have something else, right? I mean, it's like. Yeah. Yeah. 2016 right. is Australia trip. That's the Australia. new dream. Australia, Australia. That's you got to go dream. with me, man. We'll have a great time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> go. It's a. Uh, it's a. Uh, it's intimidating the first time when you do something like that. Australia's pretty easy though. It's like, it's like going to Europe but with pythons, and it's really hot. <laughs> but it's not like it's not like you know I've been to a lot of the developing world and stuff, and that's you know a little different. But this is it's like you know there's convenience stores and fast food. It's not. I mean it's it's easy to do. Uh, okay. Just plot your gas stops out because you get in the middle of nowhere and you might go a good, you know, quite a while without seeing any gas and stuff. You got to be a little cognizant of that when you're out in really remote areas. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's like a pilgrimage if you're a carpet person. You got to do that. Yeah. You got to die. Yeah. So. Justin Julander called me up the other day. I don't talk to him all that often. He's a pretty busy guy. We're both pretty busy. He yeah. called me and talked to him for a good long while. And it's like, and we're both just turned into like this kind of homesick, oh, I need to go back to Australia. You know, it's like it's turned into this <laughs> long lament of, like, how can we possibly get back to Australia as soon as possible? Uh, it's uh, it's just like nothing else. It's like every day, it's like you're an animal planet. There's going to be some, every morning, there's some crazy animal walking around. It's just always something. It's uh, Yeah. It's, as awesome as you think it is, and you have built it up in your mind to be, it is actually, in fact, that awesome. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're in the right spot, you go driving around at night, you will find pythons in the road. Virtually, you will. You know where you're going to the right spot. You're going to find stuff. Uh, you know. You will. Wow. I mean, we went. And we got terrible weather this last time in Western Australia. Just terrible weather, and it was. Uh, and there were still snakes all over the place. I mean, it's like if we would have been, the weather was cooperative. I can't imagine how much we'd found, but we'd still go out and find you know, 15 snakes in a night, I mean, and that was with all the conditions being completely awful. 
I mean, and you still find that much stuff. So, I mean, you get like almost like, oh, another death adder. You know, it's like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> oh man, like the seventh one adder. in the last two hours. You know, you're kind of, but you think they're Simpsons pythons because when you're cruising the road, they kind of look like a stimmy. So you're, oh, that you know, would be a horrible like, mistake. Yeah, so. but I mean, they're pretty neat. I mean, it's like you're just you don't you don't cruise for more than a half an hour without something being in the road. You know, it's some weird. That and you have a lot of the you have this like me and Ryan had this, this debate a couple of times where they were like snake or lizard snake or lizard because it wasn't a python and it's like well if it's a snake it's an elapid so we best not touch it but <laughs> it might be a legless gecko because they have a whole huge family of pygopods which are basically legless geckos that eat other geckos they're always on the right. roads uh-huh. so you're trying to figure out is this an elapid or some sort of harmless legless gecko thing yeah, uh, which there's a lot of different ones. And you're, like, staring there for a long time, kind of not letting, just kind of with your boot, kind of, oh, what is it? And then you're like, oh, and you find it, like, okay, lizard. And then you mess with it. It's like just this ridiculous, you never thought you were going to have this debate whether something's a, a lapid or a lizard or not, but that happens. Happened a couple times, so you're, it's just, it's magical. You eat yeah. a bunch of really bad for your body food, you know, meat pies and sausage rolls and all the usual Australian convenience food and everything, but it's delicious and it's just yeah, <laughs> the best time. You're, you're up all right? night with your buddies, shooting the shit, yeah. catching snakes, eating crappy foods. Awesome. Right. It's Fantastic. the best time ever. So if you're gonna go and you don't invite me, I'm gonna be really personally offended, and I'm telling that to everybody listening now. So <laughs> you'll be. Be, uh, <laughs> you've already offended my sensibilities once, and when you apparently are now going to attend the Southern Carpet Fest, when I tried to get you to attend the Northwest Carpet Fest for two years now. And ah. snubbed, but you will apparently go to uh, Texas. So yeah. wait, Dude. hold on, hold on. What's Dude. up with that, right? I, I yeah. gotta, I gotta, I gotta say right. something on this. The actual date for the Northwest Carpet Fest was next week. The original date was next week, uh-huh. so I took off uh-huh. of work, and then it got switched <laughs> to the week of Tinley, and I had all intentions on coming. So I said, all right, well, there's no Northwest card. I'll look into these allegations, but uh, <laughs> so you're it's supposed true. to go out and hang out and everything. It's but I see how it is. Yeah. I see how it is. You can go to Texas. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> I got great friends down in Texas. There's a, you'll, hang out, you'll meet, I'm sure, Michael Pinnell will be there. He's a great guy. Bill. Yep. I mean, there's some. There's a bunch of great keepers down there and stuff. Is Sean going, <laughs> Christian? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, I'll have to find out. And see. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of good guys on there. Nothing to, I mean, I'd, I'd like to go myself. I got, you know, this month is tough because I got to drive 1,300 miles to Sacramento here in a couple weeks, and then I got Seattle show, and then Carpet Fest is a week before that, I think. It's just kind of every weekend I'm having to drive several hundred miles, so yeah, can't make it down to, what is the the Southern Carpet Fest. Next weekend. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, next yeah. weekend. Oh, that'll be a good time. That'll be a good time. There's a lot of good guys down there. So, But, yeah, yeah. I'll be offended. I better see your ass in the Northwest next year. Or there's gonna be, <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I said, be. I was planning on coming. I had it booked. I had, and then, you know, they made it the same day. So I ended up working out. But hey, Who knows? Coast gonna... or something. You should. <laughs> I love going places. I get so I live in a. I mean, it's not a bad place to live, but it's like I, I, you know, I uh, very much uh, like getting the hell out of town and stuff. So it's, it's nice to 
go talk snakes and hang out and stuff. I mean, I think I'm going to the Sacramento show. I don't expect to make much in the way of money, but it's like just kind of go hang out with Scott and, all, and Sam from Herp Nation and everything and just kind of go eat at a bunch of foo-foo restaurants and hang out and have a good time for a few days. And then... Perfect. Yeah, right. except for when you got to turn around and realize, like, I have to drive for 20 hours now. <laughs> like, yeah, that part that, sucks. yeah. <laughs> that sucks. I mean, uh, yeah. the... 13 out first legs 13 hours and then you pass out for a couple hours and you drive another 300 miles to get home but it's uh realize how far away from everything you live at that point but yeah it's fun so hey anybody that's in the bay area and everything go to the sacramento show at the end of the month i'll be there There Uh, i will likely have a number of carpet pythons with me there uh it it seems likely that uh i'll have some (laughs) stop by and say hey I like doing shows. I love the social aspect of it. It's a lot of work. Now that I'm getting old and stuff, it seems like it's more work than it was when I was younger, but it's a, it's a lot of fun to, once you're there and hanging out and having a good time. Yeah, I keep telling I keep telling Owen that once he gets into the uh, upper 30s, early 40s, you know, it's like you, something switches and you're like, man, this used to be this used to be easy to do. <laughs> it ain't so easy anymore. Oh, no, man. I mean, it's like... <laughs> I'm getting so old. It's just ridiculous. I'm, I'm sharing too much or something, but it's like, I just like, geez, some days, man. It's like, it's like, remember like when you were young and you didn't have to get up three times a night to pee? Remember that? How awesome was that, right? I mean, you're like, I got to get a physical. Because, you know, I'm like, I'm in a lot better shape than I was like a year and a half ago. That's that's all good. But I'm like, I got to get a physical. Because I had my cholesterol checked or any of that. I need to kind of get a baseline to everything and they're like trying to give me the old guy Flomax so you don't pee all night medication I'm like there's no if you're on if they're giving you Flomax so you don't have to pee three times a night you are old there is no way around that there's no denying it you can't cover it up you're old at that point I'm like are you kidding me I'm like I want to put me on cholesterol medication dude I'm like it's just a tiny bit high I'll just eat less bacon give me a I'm gonna need to be on like how old are you I'm like 70 I mean jeez I'd be like, yeah. yeah, things you take for granted, like, uh, uh, yeah, I'm very close to being that, you kids get off my lawn, I'm almost to <laughs> yeah, that perfect. point, but it's, it's coming, it's coming, that happened, yeah. That happened to me. You have? Day. You're I, there. I had, I had that moment where I was like, yeah, God damn it, you kids, jeez, ah, freaking out. Oh, man, yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, jeez, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, getting old, it's, bullshit man isn't it i just i tell you the that's my latest thing it's like oh, i gotta pee every two hours when i'm trying to go to sleep it's just ridiculous like yeah. and it's like this like welcome to being over 40 this sucks yeah. you know it's like <laughs> you'll see I mean, Owen. like my knees just started hurting for no damn reason at all uh, i got like constant joint pain like what the hell like just falling well, apart see. or something man i'm like i, I got you i look forward to yeah, I got bitch slapped by 40 because what happened is when I turned 40, <laughs> I felt okay. Like I still felt like I was 30. Actually, I still thought in my mind I was 20. Like in my 20s, you know, like, God, yeah, everything's fine, whatever. And then I, I remember it distinctly. I was in the shower. I woke up for work, and I get up early for work. But I'm, I'm like sitting there, and I'm like, oh, my God, I just hurt. Uh, I'm so tired. <laughs> I can't lift up the shampoo bottle. What's going on? And I was like, oh, yeah. I just pro- I just turned forty. <laughs> like fuck. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. yeah. Dude, I threw I threw my back out scrambling eggs one time. 
Like oh I was like God. scrambling eggs, like oh, oh, what the hell? You know, I'm like, what the hell is that even possible? Yeah. Oh, that's classic. You'll see, Owen. <laughs> oh, oh man, thanks. yeah, just thanks. wait. It's yeah. all downhill. Line it up uh, for me, yeah. Yeah. Oh man, you're like testosterone level drops, and you you start feeling it's like everything just takes forever to heal, and you feel beat up all the time. It sucks. On this episode, it's like Jesus. I don't know. It's like this uh, (laughs) preview of coming attractions for Owen. See the young buck here. He's gonna be. He'll be there soon. Laughing at us old guys now, but uh, Uh, coming. Coming for all of us. All right, give me a year to get to thirty first, and then we'll have these. Only twenty nine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, jeez, you're, so, you're so like a man-child or something. Jeez. I was telling him the other day, when we were talking, we were having this conversation, and I was like... I've been breeding carpet pythons since you were, yep. like, nine yep. or Look, ten years old. That's what I was getting this started in the early 80s. I'm like, I was born in the late 80s, but go ahead. So, uh, so you... Just for the record, you do know who Eddie Van Halen is then, right? Yes, I do. My father taught me this. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's because so okay. I was raised in a good household. That was the <laughs> yeah. Stuff. Good job, yeah. Tim. Good job, oh, jeez. <laughs> that was the joke. We were sitting there talking, and I was like, you know, a lot of times when I talk to Owen, I think of us as the same age. Like, I just for whatever reason, it's just I I don't I don't know why. I just think we're the same. And uh, maybe you're just like, very oh. immature, Eric, and that's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that could be. Maybe that's that's, that's, that's that's possible. And then I said to him, I said, God damn it, Owen, I could be your dad. Me and Jim are probably better friends. Could be better friends than me oh, and you. Oh, jeez, no. yeah. Uh, Old man. Ah, yeah. 29, jeez, that's, that's the good years there. That's the good times there. That's all. It's all downhill now. That's right. Like, just remember when you wake up tomorrow, that's the best you're ever going to feel. And the next day, it will be slightly worse than that. Forever. <laughs> Oh, like, good. they're just like it will like you'll never feel as good as you are right now. It's just gonna get worse. You can always do things you know. <laughs> you'll be walking up like the stairs in your house, and you're like, "What's that noise?" And you realize it's your body making the noise. <laughs> it's like, "What? What's that noise?" And then when you stop moving, the noise stops. Then you walk a few more steps, and you, you stop, and it stops. It's because it's your body that's making the noise, like your <laughs> knees grinding or whatever. It's like that's oh. yeah, the joy. So now everybody's completely listening. It's completely transferred yeah, a bunch of geriatric, grumpy old men. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That, now, now they understand. Uh, oh but, yeah. Well, it's, it's true. So I guess it's. Uh, <laughs> it's well, we're going to get cut off anyway. That's true. Yeah, we're acknowledging the truth. <laughs> oh crap! Is that late already? I just get yakking with you guys and lose, totally lose track of time. It happens. Yeah. L- so. Lamenting our old age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's good times. Um, let's see. Uh, you're gonna be at what was, the show? <laughs> what was the what? show you're gonna be at? What was the show you're gonna be at? Sacramento. Oh yeah, I got Sacramento coming up end of the month, and then you know Seattle, okay. obviously. That I'm always at uh, a few weeks later in Seattle, and then okay. Carpet Fest. I think is I think it's like every weekend for like three weeks. I've got somewhere I got to be that's hundreds of miles away from where I live. So. Okay. Man, people can check out what you have available, Carpet Python Wise, over. Always, website, I have this uh, this this novel kind of idea. It's like if you go to my actual website, the availability page <laughs> is actually up to date. It's wow. crazy. 
I've kind of thinking outside the box, you're, uh, you're you know, and everything. So like website availability where everything that's available is actually on there and pictured and has an actual price. Right. And is updated pretty much daily. So it's like that's actually – I get people all the time like, oh, is this is this still available? Yeah, it's there. It's like, <laughs> it's like I, I actually – they're just so surprised that someone actually keeps that current. But yeah, that's a dog. weird thing Maybe now, apparently. So, uh, yeah. But, yeah. No, that's uh, a okay. that's all current. Also, uh, check out I do uh, I do host a podcast. Not as good as uh, not as uh, good on the uh, getting it out every week as Eric and Owen here, but that's pretty hard. <laughs> not many people can claim to be as consistent as those guys as you guys are. But uh, I tentatively, uh, Scott's been really riding everybody's ass to kind of be on a real tight production schedule with that and everything. So it'll be uh, much more reliable. Uh, basically, I'll be the first Thursday of the month. Every time. I'm actually going to be a couple ahead of the game here, so I get a little bit of a cushion going here. But uh, and stuff. I also do a blog every two weeks uh, through Herb Nation as well. So I just put another one of those uh, yesterday as well that kind of dovetails with the episode of the podcast and everything. Because the subject matter in the podcast is pretty hardcore as far as most Herbers are concerned, genetics-wise. There's actually illustrations and stuff and diagrams to help kind of uh, illustrate some of those points and concepts and stuff. Okay. And, uh, and stuff, so... Check that out if you're uh, curious and want to take that genetic stuff to the next the next level beyond kind of the basics uh, and stuff. That's, I guess, always the goal to kind of challenge people's uh, – if you listen to something, you should learn something. If you invest an hour and listen to a show or whatever or two or whatever, you should know something at the end of it you didn't know before it. Right. If you read a book, you should have learned something. If you watch – I mean, it's like you should – everything you invest any time in, you should be a little bit smarter for having done that, and that's kind of was always the always the goal. And just like in this show, you know, anybody listening to it knows who Eddie Van Halen is, and they know when you get old, you have to pee at night. They know that. There we go. They can expect that with their man, when they get to be 40, their knees will grind, and they'll have to pee all night. That's right. So now, you know, just passing that, paying that knowledge forward, you know. (laughs) Doing our part. That's awesome. Oh, jeez. I can't believe I was talking about that on the show. All right, man. As always, it's been a lot of fun and everything coming on and talking to you guys. Check out the Stonewash Brettles if that's something that interests you. At least uh, give me some feedback. Let me know what you think anyway and everything. And I'll talk to you guys later, all right? All right. See you, Nick. Thanks, Nick. All right. Okay, Owen. Uh, There we go. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Friday night. All right, we're going to wrap it up real quick. Uh, I don't think we need to go through all the details and the the gory details of everything. MoreliaPythonRadio.com, look at that. Morelia Python Mm -hmm. Forums, go there. Uh, You know, I'll make it simple. Step one, buy the complete carpet python. Step two, (laughs) go to Morelia Python Forums. Step three. Listen to Morelia Python Radio. Step four, buy from a Morelia breeder. That is all. That is all. <laughs> I don't know. You got anything else, Owen? What else is uh, no, next Tuesday? No, so far so good. Uh, next Tuesday, we're going to have, uh, we're going to finish up the things that we we're going to talk about. And then, uh, uh, I don't know, we've got some stuff in the works for a couple weeks after that. And then at the beginning of October, we have the four-year anniversary show. So should be uh, should be a good time. So 
that's all I have. I don't know what else you have, but uh, wrap it up. What I got, what I got is uh, you can definitely go to rogue-reptiles.com, check out all the stuff we have going on in over at Rogue, and then of course we have Rogue Reptiles at Facebook.com. Check us out there. And I will be at the White Plains show on Sunday. If you would like us to bring an animal for you, you can totally meet us down there. Uh, If not, I will not be vending, so don't ask. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's all we got for you guys this week. We will catch you all next week at the normal time for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night. Hey, Chad Brown here. You may remember me as a linebacker in the NFL or as a reptile breeder and the owner of Pro Exotics. I've been herping since I was a boy, and I've dedicated my life to advancing the industry and educating the community about the importance of reptiles. I also love to encourage the joy of breeding and keeping reptiles as a hobbyist, which is why my partner Robin Markland and I created the Reptile Report. The Reptile Report is our online news aggregation site bringing you the most up-to-date discussions from the reptile world. Visit thereptilereport.com every day to stay on top of the latest reptile news and information. We encourage you to visit the site and submit your exciting reptile news, photos, and links so we can feature outstanding breeders and hobbyists just like you. The Reptile Report offers powerful branding and marketing exposure for your business, and the best part is it's free. If you're a buyer or a breeder, you've got to check out the Reptile Report Marketplace. The Marketplace is the reptile world's most complete buying and selling destination full of features to help put you in touch with the perfect deal. Find exactly what you're looking for with our advanced search system. Search by sex, weight, morph, or other keywords and use our Buy It Now option to buy that animal right now. Go to marketplace.thereptilereport.com and register your account for free. Be sure to link your Marketplace account to your Ship Your Reptiles account to earn free tokens with each shipping label you book. Use the Marketplace to sell your animals and supplies and maximize your exposure with a platinum ad that also gets fed to the Reptile Report and our powerful Marketplace Facebook page. Buying or selling? Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates. ShipYourReptiles.com can also supply you with the materials needed to safely ship your animals successfully. Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates, the materials needed to ship your reptiles successfully, live customer support, and our live on-time arrival insurance program. We got you covered. Visit TheReptileReport.com to learn or share about the animals. Click on the link to the marketplace, find that perfect pet or breeder. Then visit ShipYourReptiles.com to ship that animal anywhere in the United States. We are your one-stop shop for everything reptile-related.